Welcome to episode number 28 of Talking Mopars and our second installment of Direct Connections, the special editions of this podcast where we talk Mopars with other Mopar enthusiasts. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I'm your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars Direct Connections. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome back once again to Direct Connections. My guest today is no stranger to Talking Mopars. He's called in to share his stories of Mopar hunting on more than one occasion, and he's with us today to talk Mopars once again. Please welcome my friend, Johnny Mopar. My guest for today, Johnny Mopar. Johnny, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you doing, Chris? Good, buddy. Good. Thanks for joining me on Talking Mopars. You are a frequent story contributor, and I appreciate that a lot. And I kind of wanted to get a little bit deeper into your history with Mopar. So, you know, I'm always curious to hear people's Mopar stories. But one aspect of the stories that I really enjoy hearing is how people got started with Mopars. So why don't you take us back to the beginning and tell us how your Mopar journey started? Well, uh, man... I would have to say it was just sort of around me, you know, uh, I didn't really seek it out. It was sort of there. My mom's car, her, that I grew up in is a 72 charger, which I still have to this day. I'm working on trying to get it back together for her. Uh, back in 82, my dad, well, back way up. Uh, my dad had a 69 or 68 Dodge charger, 440, four speed Dana bitch and car back when I was a kid. Uh, he blew up the motor. It sat when we moved to Southern California from Northern California, he sold the car off. And then we lived with my grandfather for about a year while they saved money to buy their own house. And then, uh, he went out searching for another charger. So he found a 68 Dodge charger, which is the blue one I have today. So in 82. So as a kid, I grew up on the Dukes of Hazard. So, uh, that was a huge contributor to, I would say chargers at least, you know, um, back then it wasn't really like Mopar or, you know, it was just, I love chargers. Chargers were my thing. And, uh, I, I got bit by that bug. And then I'd say in high school, I just happened to have a really close buddy. I mean, uh, a friend that I made that was also into Mopars, his dad had Roadrunners, And so he kind of grew up as a Plymouth guy and I kind of grew up as a Dodge guy. And then that kind of just solidified the whole Mopar thing. I think from that point on, it kind of spread into other Mopars, you know, where it was just a Mopar thing, but very cool. So your family, your family were Mopar people. Yeah. Was that intentional or is that just kind of happenstance? I think it was happenstance. I think it, you know, my grandfather had an old Dodge pickup, uh, swept line, like a, I think it was a 62, three or four, something like that. He had a 72 Dodge and it was just, he wasn't necessarily like a hardcore Dodge guy or anything. It just had it, you know? Um, my dad was kind of in everything. And even today he's kind of an everything guy. He's, he's more of a, uh, the old school hot rodder, like loves old Ford body styles with, you know, Chevy V8s in them. 
but <laughs> yeah. uh, when he got that charger, the first one, it was uh, he was working at a mechanic shop. He's he was a mechanic by trade, and uh, a customer came out from Texas, and I guess he blew he he blew the transmission or blew the motor or something. Something went wrong with the car. The car was a couple of years old or so. It was financed, and the guy just abandoned the car. And, and my dad worked on fixing it at this shop, and the bank he talked to the bank about buying the car. So he ended up buying the car uh, from the bank while this other guy just like abandoned it basically. So, and I think that sort of solidified it for him as far as that's a badass car and then why he went out to go buy another one to replace it, you know, years later. Very cool. So it sounds to me like you've actually kept some of these heirloom cars in the family. Was that like a, I'm never getting rid of these cars. These cars are staying around or is it just that it, you know, maybe they're in. Uh, various stages of project or what? Uh, well, like my dad's car is definitely needing some love. Um, I'm probably not going to restore it anytime soon. It's not bad enough to restore. It, it's definitely rough, but I kind of want to leave it a ratty muscle car and get it together. My mom's car I had painted and, you know, putting it together nice. It's not going to be like some, you know, show car. It's just going to be a nice driver, basically. Um but yeah, I'll never sell those. You know, a lot of my friends, uh, my close friends know I have this, uh, I call it the, the ring system. So, and you might go through this eventually, or there's probably guys that have gone through this. You go through these stages where you have so much stuff and you start to think to yourself, I need, I have too much. I got to let go. I'll never finish these or I don't have time for them or whatever. Right. Yeah, sure. And if you're like me and you know, you got a lot of cars. I know there's a lot of Mopar guys that have tons of them, maybe 10 or maybe it's a hundred, right? <laughs> so, and you decide I got to get rid of some, what do you do? It's kind of overwhelming. So my ring system is you have the cars at the core in the center that you will never get rid of. Like you just put those cars into that area and you don't wrap your head around those because it'll just never happen, you know? And then you start plotting the cars out to the outer rings till you get to the point where your least loved car is on the most outer ring and you just wrap your head around that one car. Can I let this car go? Do I want to get rid of it? Does it make sense? And then, you know, let the car go or you decide you don't want to let it go. And if you can't let that car go, you know, every other car on the inside of that ring is not going to get gone either, you know? So yeah, those cars are at my core. I have my high school car, my dad's charger, my mom's charger. Uh, I'd even say my 68 Coronet. It's just been around too long to, you know, it's been through too much with me that I'll probably never get rid of that one either. So, gosh. Okay. So, we already can tell that you have a lot of Mopars, but before we get into how many you have, okay. why don't you tell us about your? <laughs> why don't you tell us about? Oh, by the way, that ring system. I've never actually heard of it conceptualized like that, but I know that there are a lot of guys that think like that. So it's interesting how you put it into a thought form as far as, you know, how you think about it. Cause I don't think a lot of people have actually thought of it like that. But now that I think about it, like my two Mopars are the two first are the first two classic Mopars that I've ever bought. Cause I've always wanted classic Mopars, never been in a position, never had the money. And then finally I had enough change scraped up that I could do it. And now that I have them, every time I think about getting rid of them, I'm always, I always look into the future and I go, you know what? I'm going to regret getting rid of the first Mopars that I got my hands on. Yeah. And I, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. Not yet. Anyway, it would have to be yeah. 
for something that I want even more, but so far that hasn't come up yet. But so I like I like the ring concept. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. remember that. I wrote it down. Good, <laughs> um, good. Yeah, share it. I'm sure there's people that can use it because and I came up with it because I had to. I I kind of got to a, a a point. We were living here. Uh, we've got about an acre, so I had the space. I had the room, and we were looking at buying a house. This was a couple of years back. Actually, I've been through this a couple of times. So a couple of years ago, we're looking at buying another house, smaller property. I would have had to downsize, you know, and it's like, I mean, if you're a car guy like me, you know this, it's, it's hard. If you've got 10 cars and you're like, ah, what do I do? Which one do I get rid of? You know, it's really hard to wrap your head around it all. It's overwhelming. And most people I know that have to go through this, they just sort of shut down, mentally shut down. I can't let none of yeah. them go. Screw it. That's it. Well, doing it this way was sort of like, I can, I cannot focus on the inner cars and just worry about the outer cars, get rid of, you know, wrap your head around the one car. And then once you can let go of that car, then you go to the next one. At some point, eventually you're going to get close enough to the inner rings where you're like, there's just no way I can ever let go of this car. And you know, everything inside of that is just not going to happen. You know, Gosh. I'm so, afraid of those outer rings. Cause I'm gonna be like, Oh no, I can't get rid of that. Oh, It's <laughs> tough. Hey, every car I've had, I've had a dream around, you know, I've had an idea, I've had a concept of my, in my head, you know, so yeah, it's sort of like getting rid of your children when you have to get rid of them, you know, but, uh, I did it the time before that. And this was around the same time that, uh, general mayhem left my yard, but, uh, we were in a position where, well, you know, where 2008 was, uh, we were kind of on that downward swing. We ended up losing our house. Uh, we left there around 2012. So it was like a forced downsizing, you know, so. But you still have, you still had that core, I, that inner I, circle. I, you yeah. Managed to keep them. I still drug yeah. over like 10 or something. So. <laughs> yeah. Now I know our listeners are probably going, did he just say general mayhem? Relax. We're going to get to that folks. You got to wait on that story. So before we get into all that, what was your first Mopar, Johnny? It was actually a 70 Chrysler, and I believe it was a Newport. I, I'm not 100% sure if it was a Newport, a New Yorker, or um, a 300, but I'm pretty sure it was a Newport. Um, it was a four-door. I didn't, I wasn't trying to buy this car. I wasn't seeking it out, you know, and we're talking like, God, this, this was way back. This would have been like around 86, 1986 or so, just a kid. We moved from Los Angeles County out to Riverside County. Riverside's more rural. LA's more, you know, obviously city. Um, coming out here, I was, I, I befriended a kid up the street. We would ride dirt bikes around the neighborhood and stuff. And he knew this, we, we went to this place, these people he knew, you know, long story short, this Chrysler sitting in the yard and there's a station wagon sitting in the yard and I already had the Mopar bug. So it was like, I didn't really know what the car was other than it was like, Oh, it's a cool Mopar. And I think my friend said something like, Oh, he'd probably sell them to you. And I said, really? And so we started just bullshit and I'm a freaking kid at this point. You know, it's like, I don't have no money. I don't have nothing. I don't have a driver's license, but, uh, we get to talking and, and, uh, I asked, well, would you sell those cars? And he goes, yeah. 
So it was uh, the 70 Chrysler and it was a 72 Plymouth Fury station wagon. It The front bumper kind of looks like a 70 Super B. I mean, but yeah. this thing is a huge boat. Anyways, <laughs> he goes, yeah, I'd sell them. Like, how much? And he said, uh, 25 bucks each. I'm like, whoa, I can own my own car. You know, so so I haul ass. <laughs> we haul ass back to the house and I tell my dad. And he's like, eh, you know, whatever, like no big deal. It's like, it's 25 bucks, you know? <laughs> yeah, all right, we'll buy them. So we go over there and we drug them home. Uh, I probably should have tried to get the car. I didn't know anything. I no, you know, no me- mechanics, no education. No, I knew nothing. I've never turned a wrench other than building model cars and stuff like that, you know? And uh, I think my dad might've talked me into it because he was a mechanic. Like, oh, you should take the engine apart and rebuild it and blah, 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 you know, which I should have never listened. I should have threw gas in it and a battery in it. It probably would have fired up and ran, you know, but I pulled the, it was a 383. I pulled it out and just took it apart. It's just like, you know, oh, wow, there's valve cover. Hey, there's rockers, you know, <laughs> just took it apart and kind of got to see how an engine was put together. So that was my very first car. And in fact, um, I never did anything with the car. I kept the motor. The idea was I was going to build this big block for a bitching car, like a Roadrunner or something later on. So the car sat there. And when we first moved out there, this property was just raw, just raw land, you know. And uh, we were cutting down bushes and stuff like that. We'd throw them in the back part of the property. My dad almost, he kind of had like his own dump, right? Okay. And uh, this neighbor behind us, he he ran a, a backhoe. He, he was a backhoe operator and he had his own tractor and stuff like that. So one day he got him to get the Chrysler and push it into that trash area and basically crush the car and run it over. So that car is actually still there on my parents' property <laughs> buried oh, in the back. <laughs> so you still have your very first Mopar is what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, technically. Yes. It's underground <laughs> and I'm sure there's not a panel good on it, but yeah, it's there. Whatever, um, whatever happened to the 383? Uh, I think over the years, um, man, I, I probably had those heads for 20, 30 years. I never did anything with the engine. Um, I went on to other things and, you know, I probably used some parts off of it for other big blocks, but I never, I never rebuilt it. Very cool. But you got your feet wet on a big block Mopar. That's cool. I did. Not not a lot of people can say that. Yeah. Very cool. So I'm sure people have gathered by now that you have had a lot of Mopars in your lifetime. How many Mopars do you currently have? I think it's 10 or 11. I think it's 10. And what are are they? So two 72 chargers, a 68 Cornette, two 68 chargers. And I should say, the 72 Chargers, one of them is my mom's car. She sort of, she made me part owner of the car. And the 68 I got from my dad, it's all mine. I could tell you that story too. But uh, so the 268 Chargers, a 69 Cornet wagon. Um, I love that car, by the way. I love that you. wagon. I spied on your pictures and I, I look at that car and I'm like, God, wagons are just... I don't know. For for some reason, lately I've been really into four doors and wagons, especially. I don't. It's a good thing that you have one because they are hard to find. Yes, and they rust <laughs> out really easily too. 
There's one locally. There's one locally. It's a 68, I think, satellite, and it's rotted. It's rotted pretty bad. I still want it, but the guy wants like six grand for it. And I'm like, but it's got a 383 in it. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, man. And it's rotted. I'm like, but yeah, those wagons are cool. Even mine is rotted. Bottom of the doors have rust and the floors are rusted on it. But yeah, same like you, man. I just, when I found this car, I just had to have it. I freaking, (laughs) I saw it on Craigslist and. It had a it had a sixty nine five hundred you know grill in it, and I'm like, oh man, that looks kind of weird. I'm but I I'm pretty sure they didn't make five. Well, maybe they did. I don't know. But the car was not a five hundred. It was a it was actually a deluxe, which is ironically the lowest of the totem pole of of the class models. You know, sure. um, it didn't sell. I, I want to say the car was listed for. It's like fifteen hundred bucks or eighteen hundred bucks, and this is this is only a few years ago, five or six years ago, maybe. Oh. And uh, I actually printed up the Craigslist ad, and I just kept it. Just, just like I loved the car, I wanted the car, but I didn't have the money for the car, you know. And I just kept it. Sure. And then, man, I want to say over over a year, maybe, or close to a year went by. And I came across, I'm like going through stuff. I came across the ad I had, right? And I'm like, I'm just going to call him just, just for the hell of it. Cause I had the money at that time. So I call the guy up and I go, Hey, I know you, I know this is a really old ad. You know, I, 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 I kept the ad from a long time ago. I was just curious if you still had the car or not. And he goes, yeah, I still have it. I just it never sold. A lot of people called on it. Nobody actually bought it. And I just haven't, I was actually thinking about reposting it and I just didn't do it yet. And I'm like, sweet. So drove out there and picked it up. <laughs> so, yeah. Awesome. So yeah. you never know. Yeah. That one, I'm the one that I see all the time. And I, I secretly, I look at it quite a bit. I'm just like, God, that would be cool to have. It's on Craigers that are a little rusty. And I'm just like, Ooh, a ratty wagon. I kind of like the idea. Yeah. <laughs> but I have, I have more Mopars than I have room for. And that's only two. So that's my yeah. situation. Yeah. <laughs> You need to look into buying a bigger piece of property, man. <laughs> I think you could be a normal Mopar guy. Trust me. I, I talking to the wife, I'm like, all right, next place needs enough place to park, you know, 10 or 15 cars. And then I go. need a, a decent sized <laughs> shop. And she's like, you're not having 15 cars. And I'm like, Don't worry about that. I just need the ability. I need right. the ability. Right. As, as we all know, as Mopar guys, sometimes it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. So. Exactly. Yeah, you <laughs> ask for a lot so you could come back a little, right? You end up with like eight, room for eight. <laughs> exactly. When I found my dart, my wife was on a business trip. And it's funny because her best friend said something to her about, he'll probably buy a car or something stupid while you're gone. And <laughs> I'll be damned if I didn't call her while she was on business. Hey, I found a, I found a car. And she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I had to tell her, she's like, just do whatever. And I'm like, okay, you asked for it. <laughs> but, so okay, we didn't get through your whole list, did we? I don't think we're through the list. We got to the wagon. Uh, no. Yeah, we stopped at the wagon. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> 79 power wagon. Nice. Uh, not that this counts, but I got a 75 uh, D100 long bed parts truck. It's just parts okay. truck. Uh the 69 charger that I picked up recently through my friend, oh, the, black one. the black one I call yeah. road rash. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then at my buddy's house, I bought from my buddy a 70 Dodge charger RT 
that was going to be built into a pro street. So it's been, the back half has been started. It's been cut away. And it's, this happened years ago. So before anybody gets all pissed off that you're cutting up a real RT car, it's like it happened a long time ago when they were worthless. So get over it. <laughs> and it's going to stay you know, a pro hey, street. On, on that note, I don't, that stuff doesn't bother me. I don't get bothered when I see a, you know, quote unquote, rare or special Mopar that is getting quote unquote chopped up for yeah. something cool like that. It's better than it rotting in the field or something sure. like that. So anybody that complains about that is just ridiculous. Like I just um, ran across this article of uh, this guy, I guess he's a journalist, an automotive journalist. And he found um, for the life of me, I can't remember the drag racer's name, but he found this uh, 446 pack plum crazy Cuda that has 149 original miles. I think it's 149 original miles on it. He only, he drove it home basically from the dealer, put a Hemi in it. So he bought a uh, 67 um, GTX with a Hemi convertible, pulled the Hemi out of it, put it in his Cuda and the GTX just sat there. So the guy passes away and here is this survivor shaker hood Hemi car now uh, that used to be a six pack. It, it's insane. So yeah. the guy dies and his collection gets sold off. And when it happened, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, okay, the guy who bought it, is he going to restore it and put it back to original and yeah. just try to make some money on it? Cause who knows how much he bought it for, you know, it's kind of undisclosed, yeah. but he is keeping the car 100% the way it originally that they found it. So it's still got all the old drag racing stickers on it. The, the logo, the, I think it was drag addicts or something like that. Nice. Really cool. But yeah, he fired it up. It's just 149 miles. The thing looks brand new. You know, wow. it's like a time capsule. You know, he shined it up, you know, did a little spit shine on that paint and it just came alive. It's like, oh my God. So see, like when I see things like that, I'm like, how many more of those cars are out there that yeah. nobody knows about? Because the guy, right. I guess he was saying that, you know, he he's one of those recluse Mopar guys where he doesn't want anybody to come out and stuff. And you know, when he was asked about why he kept it for so long and why it's kind of a secret, he's like, you know, bragging rights. The longer I hold on to it, the more bragging rights I have. Hey, he's <laughs> <Nice>. right. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, he didn't make it to enjoy all the bragging rights, but yeah, at yeah. least the car is uh, being taken care of, you know? Yeah, that's good. And, you know, that's the way I would have gone with that car. It, it There's a fine line. There's definitely a fine line. Uh, I think once a car kind of develops its own history, I mean, yeah, I won't, I won't mention it. I won't mention the car we were going to talk about. But let's take the car we're going to talk about. What if somebody yep. bought that and restored it all original someday? You know, it'd be like erasing everything that that car was all about, you know. And I, I think that's what you do. And a car with that kind of rich history, it's like it just deserves to stay the way it is, you know. Um, yep. Absolutely. I, I think Mopar Collector's Guide had an article. They talked about this once. And some guy was like, one of those winged, uh, like he had a super bird and he put a funky paint job on the car. Right. And, uh, the guy passed on, the car got sold and the guy that bought it, it was like a 446 pack car. The guy restored it all original, you know, vitamin C orange and all that. And the guys in Mopar collector guy were kind of making the arguments like, so what, how many orange Superbirds with 446 packs are out there? There's tons of them. You just erased a unique car where this guy, like, uh, I'm trying to think of that club. There it was some sort of club 
I don't know if it was here in California, but it was like all these winged warrior guys. So these Daytonas and Superbirds were all like meet up and hang out. But this guy was like there all the time. And everybody knew the car because it was so unique, you know. So it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, on that one, it's like, I'm not sure what the right answer is. I kind of, I think if I owned it, the, the color scheme wasn't all that appealing to me. So I probably would have gone the other way, you know, but on the <laughs> other hand, it's like, I think the right answer is, and they made this point. It's like, you know, if you got to have one, there's plenty out there, go buy one that's, you know, can be restored back to original, like leave this one alone, leave it for somebody else. Who's going to enjoy it with the funky paint job on it and the history that it has, you know? So sure. going back to your charger, do you have fender tags on this thing? It's got the VIN and all that stuff or what? Uh, which one? Uh, the 70 RT, the one that's oh, getting prostrated. It does. In fact, uh, my, my, my buddy, <laughs> Yeah, people are going to be pissed when they hear this because this, my bud, he hate he hates these guys. He hates these numbers guys and the you know the rarity. I mean, I'm not like that. I like that stuff, but I also sure. like you know a hot rod that you just go out there and just Absolutely. thrash on it, you know. But uh, he was going to put a full cage in the car, and he wanted to take the fender tag and just like on the bar that goes down the fender well, like just put four tack welds on the corner of the fender tag and he's like i'll make sure i i put enough weld to erase part of the part of oh. one of the codes you know and, oh. and i'm like no don't do that <laughs> <laughs> so that won't happen so don't freak out but uh you know it, it just goes to show the clash between those two groups and it it's different too you know if those old school guys going back far enough, like nobody gave a shit about that stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But again, like I, I kind of go back and forth because on one hand, gosh, it's really cool that you have all that documentation and that it yeah. could be a really nice restored example and you have some documentation. Yeah. It's not a car that, oh, you know, you bought it with no tags and, you know, hey, just have yeah. fun with it. It's an RT, but we don't know much about it. We don't have the build sheet, nothing. But on the other hand, it's like, at the end of the day, you still have an RT charger and you right. have as much documentation as you need. As long as you got that tag, you know what it had. Yeah. So if you ever wanted to, I mean, they make all the parts for them. So if you wanted to, I mean, it's not like you, you know, you ruined the car completely. You right, know? right. And I'll, you know, whenever it happens, it's just, that car is so low on the totem pole as far as my priorities right now. Uh, but when I get to it, it's like that fender tag will stay on the car and it'll be put on correctly, even though yeah. the thing's got some fat tires in the back and it's tubbed, you know, uh, yeah. and who knows, you know, after I'm long gone, maybe somebody will restore the car all back to normal. But for me, it's, you know, the cost is too high. Like, it would be way too expensive for me to try to put factory frame rails and floorboards and all that stuff after it's already been cut out of it. You know, uh, I think it's cheaper just to go forward with the the back half. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the nineties guys. I, the nineties were my time that, so yeah. pro street cars were, were it that time, you know, that's oh, yeah. all I ever wanted was a pro street charger. So now I have one. So. Very cool. All right. So that's not the end of your list, is it? You still got uh, no, that was the end of the list. Okay. I, was, I wasn't counting, but yeah, we can count if you want. <laughs> the three in the okay. shop, the 268, okay. 69, 70, uh, 
power wagon, the station wagon. Oh, I forgot my duster. My okay, I was going to ask you. I was going to yeah. ask about. Okay, and that's the green yeah, one, right? That's the green one. Yeah. Okay, I see pictures of that car too, and I'm like, God, I never hear him talk about that one. I don't, I don't know the story on yeah. that. So give us a quick rundown on that one. I like the license plate on it. I think. It's oh, really thank cool. you. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts about the car. As stupid as that sounds, I'm just like, oh, cool license plate. So tell thank us you. about your '74. Uh, there's not much of a story there. I uh, I went up to. There was this guy up in. Um, God, I'm trying to think. I think it's like the Lancaster area. It's like the high desert. And he was doing uh rechroming, like bumper rechroming. And okay. so I shot out there. I took him my Roadrunner bumpers and my Cornet bumpers to get them rechromed. And my 72 Charger bumpers to get rechromed. And while I get up there, there's this 74 Duster, and it's just like completely stripped. It's just a shell. And uh start BSing with them, you know, and I always this is after I was racing my old D100, which was a heavy tank, you know, and it was like, wow, this, this thing looks like it's pretty light. This would, this would move up the list as far as being a much faster car uh, sure. than building anything else, you know. So anyways, he said him and his buddy built this car. They drag raced it. They ended up selling it to a couple. And this lady was actually racing the car. I can't remember her name. But if you go to the Caltrax website... The car is in there. Uh, it had Caltrax on it. It was running a 440 at the time. It was white with black on the bottom and had decals all over it. But um, I guess they didn't like, you know, he was friends with these people, but they didn't really like the duster body. They liked the dart body more, more of the square look. And they wanted, it was like, I think they were looking for a 71 or two, 70, 71 or two, like that kind of a dart. And, uh, so one day he goes, he, he got a, a Valiant. I think it was a 71 or two Valiant. And he goes, Hey, I got this Valiant. It's the same thing as a dart. You know, do you want to come and look at it? Sure. So they go over there and they look at it. They like the car. Um, I, I don't think they liked the Plymouth front end on it. So they might've put a Dodge front end on it at some point or something, but long story short, they bought this car from him and he's like, well, take all the parts off of the duster, put it on your car and then give me the duster back. Okay, cool. So he gets the duster back and he's pissed now because he's like, they took everything out of the car. They even cut the roll cage out of the car. They took the aluminum door panels and stuff like that out of the car and used it as templates in building the Valiant. And so he was just burnout. He's like, we, my buddy and I did all this work to this car and we get this thing back and it's just unusable. You know, he's just like, I'm not going to build it again. So he was done with it. So I asked how much he wanted for it. And he said, 1100 bucks. So I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I drug it home. I mean, one of the selling points was that he was like, oh man, we sat under that car scraping the under, the undercoating off of the thing with a torch. And he's like, what a pain in the ass, you know? And I'm like, that's not something I ever want to try. So <laughs> oh, it's nice to get it already done. But uh, yeah, I, I honestly, that car was a huge mistake. Really? Uh, yes. Yes. It took way too many years to put together. I, you know, back when I got the car, it was shortly after I was racing the truck uh, shortly after was racing the Roadrunner, uh, I raced the Cornette a couple of times. And then, um, it was like, well, 
duster is even lighter. Like what a perfect race car to, to race. It's been like 12, 13 years now, you know, I've been working on that car on it off and on, off and on and putting a big block in an A body, man, <laughs> don't scare me away, dude. Cause I got one. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, man. It's a pain in the ass. <laughs> it is a pain in the ass. So, I so yeah, <laughs> I, I swore I will never, I mean, unless it's like a GTS or a formula, you know, Cuda yeah. or something like that. Like, yeah. I will never touch a big block into the A body again. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so you do have one A body. I do have one. It's my last well, one. You're, you're a B body guy, though. I am yeah. definitely a B body guy. I, now, I can't Road, tell you. Roadrunner. Did I? I'm sorry. Did I, do you? You don't still have the Roadrunner, do you? I do not. Okay. No. no. Okay. I've had three three in my life roadrunners the last one was a really nice restored car i paid a lot of money for you know i paid okay. like i say a lot of money but it was 21.5 i paid for that car sure. but it was it was a beautiful car black four-speed car had a four it was a 383 originally but it had a 440 in it with fuel injection and stuff uh beautiful car but i got tired of making the payment on it so i sold it mm -hmm. to pay off the the loan that i got against it uh, okay. the one I had the most fun with was my blue one, which was a ratty muscle car. That thing was just, I love that thing too. <laughs> yeah. It honestly, dude, it was, that's my favorite car. When I think about it, it, it doesn't mean I love it the most. Like I'm a charger guy, hardcore, like that's my car. However, the amount of time I spent in the car, the, the amount of fun I've had with a car, I mean, Having the Coronet, which is a pretty nice car, I'm not going to say it's car show car quality, but it's a nice car. You know, when I got it done and you drive it places, it's like, yeah, I got to drive, I got to park it way the hell out in the parking lot so nobody parks <laughs> next to me. You know, and even then, I don't like leaving the car alone. It's like I don't, I don't go somewhere if I'm going to walk away from the car. You know, the Roadrunner, on the other hand, though shitty paint job. It was rough. It had scratches. It had dents. You know, it was like I could park it all the way close to the grocery store and walk inside, not worry about it. You know, uh, thrashed on it at the drag strip and just everything about that car. It just, it just worked. It worked and it was reliable. It would start every time, you know, I mean, it gave me some hiccups here and there in the beginning, but after I got it dialed in, it was just like, the most reliable car I've ever had. So that probably leads into one of my other questions, which was going to be, do you have a Mopar from your past that got away that you wish you could have back? Is it the Roadrunner? Oh man, definitely the Roadrunner is on that list. Uh, Folks, yeah. you can get an idea of how many Mopars Johnny has had. Because <laughs> it's taken, he's got a list of the ones that got away. Okay, <laughs> keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> well, let's try to think. You know, it's like cars that I've owned that got away. You know, there was that one. Uh, there's cars that I've owned that were kind of taken away by oh, fire. You know, oh, I wish God. I had. Uh, there's cars that I found that I wanted to buy but didn't have enough money, and then they got away. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, Fair, so, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. We'll go with the Roadrunner, though. 
it's crazy when you're talking about the ring and I'm thinking yeah. about all the cool cars that, <laughs> that you don't have. And I'm like, God, I, <laughs> you know, so what, what is the car at the center? So your parents' cars are the two cars at this, at the very, very center. I'd say three at the very center. It's my high school okay. car. The, the, okay. This is the one I called in on your show and, and okay. told you about from high school, yeah. from the yeah. bus, you know. That you still have. I still have it. I still have it. It's waiting to be restored. It's okay. all apart, but I still have it. So that one's at the core. My mom's car is at the core. And my dad's 68 Charger is at the core. Um, I would say everything else is at least a ring out from that, you know, meaning if I had to pick those three would never leave. One of the other ones would have to leave first. Okay. Let me just take a guess here. If someone said, Hey, Johnny, you got to get rid of one today. I'm guessing it's going to be the big block duster. Am I wrong? Ooh, it doesn't count. <laughs> okay. The parts car doesn't count. The power <laughs> wagon, the power wagon. I haven't had a lot of time in. I just, I bought it. Okay. I did a lot of stuff, but so the power wagon would be easy to let go. Okay. Uh, my blue 72 charger, which was the other story I called in on your, your show yeah. about, uh, there's some, there's some blood, sweat and tears into that car, but that one would go first, you know, <laughs> uh, even, you know, even that 69 that I have, it's like, I don't have any plans to get rid of that car, but it's like, I don't have any, uh, we, we haven't connected yet. It's just, sure. I have it and it's there, you know, but it's like that, that connection has yet to occur. So when you get that seat time and you, you, you know, you rack your knuckles a few times in the engine bay and you're dropping the big block in there. And then, then you start getting that connection and you start to say, this car will never yeah. leave. You know, <laughs> once you stain it with your blood. And exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I can't help but think about some of the listeners that are sitting there going, hold on a second. How many cars does he have? They may be keeping track and they're going, wait a second. How many chargers does this guy have? So, so Johnny, I, I want you to, get these people thinking, what is the cheapest charger that you have? What's the lowest amount of money you spent on a charger? And I think a lot of, if people have been listening to the show, I think they know, but we'll refresh yeah. some of the people's minds. That would be the free one. That would be the, the blue 72 I got for free that I didn't even want. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't go there to buy that car. I went there to buy a 68 charger. Well, I didn't know. I, I, just to real recap the story, you know, uh, as fast as possible play. The thing is, you know, I have these buddies, we played poker all the time for years. And then out of the blue, it's like, I've got chargers all alongside my house and out of the blue, you know, one of my buddies is like, I think my father-in-law has one of those in his yard. And I'm like a charger. Yeah. Well, what year? I don't know. It, it looks like the general Lee. I don't, I'm like, okay, well, I have to go look. Yeah. You, you can't, you cannot leave that stone unturned, you know? So we go look and sure enough, it's a 68, 300 bucks, paid 300 bucks for that car. And the guy's like, you want another one? And I'm like, yeah, but he goes, he points to the 72 and it's like, I'm like, you got another one? Oh, it's a, it's a 72. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> and then he's, I go, well, I'm like, think, then it clicked, right? It's like, well, I just paid three hundred dollars for a sixty-eight. How how much could he possibly want for the seventy-two? A hundred bucks? You know? Well, how much for the seventy-two? Oh, you could just have it. Just get it out of my yard. It's like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll there you have that. it, folks. There you have it. 
Free. Now, okay, let's let's continue the streak of entertainment. What okay. is the most money you've ever spent on a second generation charger? You don't have to answer that, but if you would, I'm sure people would be a little curious. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's probably the 69 I just bought. Uh, most of the charges I've had, I've had them for years and I've paid sure. so little money for them. Uh, so the charger that I just bought the 69, well, it's a toss up because the 69 and the 70, I think I paid the same. So okay. it's like 3,500 bucks. So people were, people were sitting there going, Oh, he's probably spent 30 grand on one. He had to, no, I mean, look at how no. much charges are these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The Roadrunner is the most expensive car I've ever bought. I take that back because I think I paid twenty four hundred bucks for the the sixty nine. I paid thirty five hundred for the seventy. So the seventy RT is the most expensive car I've ever bought. All right. The next time you run across a charger, a second generation charger that's less than twenty grand, Johnny, you have enough. <laughs> Give your buddy Chris a call. Let me have that one, okay? <laughs> okay. Man. Just so you know, you're standing in line. I get that a I, lot. Oh there. God! Oh God! I can't. I, I hey, you got to have your place in line somewhere. Gosh. Right. <laughs> I, I'll I'll take that gamble. But like, you get. I know there's people listening right now. They're like, okay, the next time I see a twenty five thousand dollar rock box, I'm going to tell them, oh no, I I heard this podcast and there's this guy Johnny on there and he gets them for three hundred bucks all day long. So. You just he's, you just swayed the market, Johnny. He's probably going to be the guy trying to buy something from Mike Coffee. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. How? Hey, Mike, if you're listening to this, how can you justify your prices when Johnny's over here getting cars for free? All right, right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, but that just goes to show that you know if you're in the right place at the right time, and you know you've had your cars for a long time, a lot of them anyway. But even yeah. in today's market, I mean, you tell anybody that you got a charger for less than five grand that isn't rotting into the ground and it's unbelievable, you know, like I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if you're like, oh, I paid 10 grand for that. I'd be like, that's a good deal, you know, yeah. considering it's, the ones I've been seeing. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's probably worth that much. It's uh, I think my buddy's just being, you know, being a buddy. You could you could argue he gave me the car, you know. Yeah, I'm sure he wouldn't have sold it to anybody at that kind of, at that price, but, but I'm not so, going to say no. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Uh, that's one that I wouldn't even talk to my wife about. I'd just come home with it and be like, yeah. Hey, do you want a divorce or what? Yeah. <laughs> I'll Deal. take my charger and go see ya. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, uh, so out of all the cars you've had and the ones you currently have, which Mopar is your favorite? I don't think I asked you that one yet. Hmm. I like a specific car. Yeah. Pick one. Okay. And I'll make it easy uh, for you. Mom and dad's car out of the question. Don't, don't even, we won't count those okay. just yours specifically. I'll okay. make it a little easier. Cause that, that it would, would be, be my, hard. it would be my high school car then. Okay. Yeah, for sure. That's what I 68 charger. Yeah. Very cool. All right. We've gotten through a lot of your history. Let's get into the car that we mentioned earlier. You are the original owner for, I don't know anybody that's a car enthusiast, especially a Mopar enthusiast that does not know about the TV show Roadkill on Motor Trend with uh, Freiberger and Finnegan. They had a project car called General Mayhem. Now, a lot of people, they assume that Freiberger just had this car. They don't know the origins of this car, but 
as it were, you were the, maybe not the first owner off the lot, but you were the previous owner before that car became General Mayhem. So how did you, I don't think anybody's heard the story before Freiburger and before you. So where did you get the car? Tell us about that. My buddy that I just bought the 69 Charger from, I got the car from him. He's a, he's, you probably know this. You have Mopar guys that it's a niche, right? And then you have Charger guys. There's Charger guys. They're a niche. So there's a few guys I've come across over the years that's like, they are, they'll own other Mopars, but they're hardcore Charger guys. So my buddy, John, he is a Charger guy. And he is just one of those guys that knows everybody. He's connected with everybody. And at that point in time, we'll call it, you know, because I sold, I traded the car in 2009. Um, I probably got the car from my buddy two or three years prior to that. And so we'd say, you know, I don't know how many years prior to that he got the car, but, you know, I would say that you're probably looking at, 2000, you know, early 2000s or something like that, maybe even earlier. And the buddies that he has, everybody knows he's a Charger guy. So a lot of the cars, he had tons of them. He had a lot of them. And uh, if they had like two, back in that time, you know, guys, at least here in California, like if a car had rust, it was a parts car, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, it's, it's sad to say, but it's true. It was, they were shunned. And so a lot of those cars got parts taken off them. Uh, and then like whatever was left over, they would either give it to my buddy, John, or they'd sell it to John for a really low price, or they knew he liked them so badly that he would, cause he was a body guy, body and paint guy. He would do work for them on their cars and then get the charger as payment you know, and just how I met John, I had a 69 Dodge Dart. I had it for maybe over a year or two. I paid 300 bucks for the car. Uh, I got it through You're a hurting friend. my feelings right now. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. <laughs> it's only a 318 car, man. So, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was through a friend of a friend. And, uh, and then I decided you know, the car sat in my backyard for a, a while and being the B body guy that I am, it was, you know, I didn't have the ring thing developed back then, but if I did, it was on the outermost ring <laughs> and I just decided I'm not going to ever do anything with this car. Let her go. And I put it up for sale for 500 bucks and John called. And so like, yeah, I gave him my address. He came over to look at the car this guy pulls up in a 70 Coronet station wagon with a 440 in it. And I, I like my cars low. This thing was like slammed to the ground on steel <laughs> rims, right? And he had these funky center caps, not dog dish, but it kind of had that look, you know. He rolls up in this thing and it's two-tone. It's petty blue and black. And I'm mm-hmm. like, damn, that thing's badass, you know? Yeah. So bullshit with him. You know, learned that he does paint and body for a living. He wanted the dart, so I sold him the dart. And then I'm like, oh, you know, I didn't I didn't know what kind of work he did. So I, uh, I went out to his place, and he took me to another buddy of his that had some cars that he had painted. And he showed me those cars. And it's like, damn, he does good work. Okay. And then I still didn't quite trust him, so I wasn't going to give him a charger. I wish I had. 
but I wasn't going to give him a charger. So I gave him my coronet to paint, you know, which at that time it was just a beater car that I was driving all the time. You know, I had a 318 <laughs> in it at first and I put a 383 in it and, uh, he did bitch and work on the thing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if I had given him a charger, that's what would be sitting in my shop painted and done and nice, you know, so regret, but that's how I met John. And, uh, in the process of, I would, John's, I think I heard you talk about a body and paint guy and a guy living in his shop yep. while he did this. Okay. These guys, I, they must all be the same or something. <laughs> Cause that's all John is. John is a recluse sort of total cool guy, personable. You could talk to him, but he, he's quirky. He's a quirky guy. Um, yeah, he would, he'd live in a van, you know, next to his shop and go out and work on his car. So that's, that's how he was, had no problem with it. Uh, so I'd have to, he would do work on the car and I would have to go out there and I would give him, you know, some cash for the work that he did. And I would just go out every few weeks or something like that. And then, uh, one of the times I went out to visit him, I don't know how we just, was, he had so much shit in his yard. Like he had tons of cars and he had this buddy that had a lot of rare cars. Like you talk about my time being the nineties, this guy from the eighties was snatching up like fiberglass lift off, you know, 446 pack super bees and, you know, road oh, runners. Man. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> super, super rare stuff. And John was storing a lot of it for him. So it was just like, you know, they all needed to be restored, but awesome eye candy. Um, walking through, John had, I ended up selling this charger to Mike Coffee recently. Um, but he had this, he had two sixty-eight chargers sitting there, complete drivetrain missing on the one that I, I bought. But I just, I told John, I'm like, man, would you sell this car? And he says, Oh yeah, I don't know. Well, how much would you give me for it? And I said, I'll give you five grand for this car. And he's like, sold. <laughs> so I drug that car home and he'd, he'd built like these pods over cars and like hide them in his backyard. It was, it was trippy. Hmm. It was like using building materials, but metal building materials, right? Uh, he would cut them all and rivet them together, screw them together. And I remember seeing him in his backyard and I never bothered, never thought to ask like, what, what are those things? And what are, you know, what's their purpose? <laughs> he had cars hidden in them and he didn't even, it didn't click. Cause it's so weird because when you look at a car, you kind of have this idea of how high, how tall the car is and stuff. Mm -hmm. He built these things so tight that the car would just barely fit in there. And it honestly, when you're not looking at the car, it just looked like it wasn't tall enough to house a car, you know? Because it was really? just above the roof line. Yeah. So, yeah, he would hide all this stuff because we have code enforcement crap out here in California. You know, they're always uh, busting on us. So he would he would stash his stuff. So anyway, yeah. I got so they don't they don't here. call him on these weird things that he's got built in the yard. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> what is it? With, some Mopar guys are just a little they're a little out there. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I love them, but they're a little yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, that is hilarious. Oh, John comes up with some wacky stuff all the time but it, the guy's a genius i mean he comes up with stuff i mean if you've seen some of the work he does body work wise he's like he makes metal look like paper mache you know you're like oh wow uh like the rear valance on the 72 charger it's like oh you want to cut it out for you know exhaust tips and i'm like 
why don't I just buy it? You know, and he's like, oh no, it'd be easier to to cut Bunky. We'll just, you know, he just snip snips and hammers on stuff. He'll use stuff laying around on the ground as like, you know, to beat metal around to shape it and stuff like that. It's crazy. The so guy's he's an old school guy then. He's an old school guy. He's a, okay. he's not much older than me, but he's probably he's probably like six or seven years older than me, and he's been doing it since day one. So he's just right. like really good at it yeah but anyway the charger general mayhem was in one of these pods and uh wow. of course that car was way more stripped than the charger i just bought for five grand you know so honestly i don't remember what i paid for that car because i got two two hoopty cars from him or rough chargers that one and another one that had a really rusty roof it was a red car the fender from that car is what ended up on General Mayhem. But uh, anyway, I got those cars from him, and I had bought this 69 Charger from a guy I used to work with. Uh, he had a 69 Charger RT, and he bought this other car as a parts car, and he needed a roof. I We worked out a deal where I bought the car from him, and I he was going to cut this car up for the roof because his was a vinyl top and it was rusty right i had a roof that i had cut out of a car from a boneyard years ago so i said well i'm like dude don't destroy the car like i'll give you my roof which is cherry you know no rust on it and i'll give you some money for the charger okay cool yeah that works out because all he wanted was the roof anyway his, his grandfather had pulled the car around with his tractor or something like that. Like something happened and I don't know, the tractor crashed into the car or the car crashed into something else. It just got munched pretty hard. But long story short, my buddy John liked 69s more than, you know, any other year. And uh, so I traded him that 69 for one of the rough chargers. I think it was for General Mayhem. But I think I think I got the rusty roof car for like just a few hundred bucks more, you know. So yeah, so that's where the car came from from him. And does I John, had it. Does John know that that car, what that car became? Uh I think he, I think he does. <laughs> but uh, you know, he's not hung up on stuff like that. He's he mm. doesn't care <laughs> that much. I mean, I've mentioned it to him and. You know, when I visit John, we just, we don't talk about it. We, there's so much to talk about, you know, sure, so sure. much stuff. And uh, that's just one conversation that does, doesn't come up that much. But uh, yeah, I've mentioned it to him. Yeah, I think he's said something like, oh, really? That's cool. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> BFD. <laughs> so you end up with this car. You have no idea what the future holds for this car. Right. But what you told me is that you were selling it. So tell us about the process of selling it. So you were, se you're selling this car. Tell us about that. So I just got that car. I got the rusty roof car from John and I got the $5,000 car from John. Plus I already had my dad's blue charger. I had my high school charger. I had another 69 charger, like I actually two other 69 chargers. So I had a glut of cars, right? And I had especially a glut of chargers. For whatever reason, I picked this car, plucked this car out. Like, I'm going to work on this car. I'm going to slap this thing together, and I'm going to run it, you know. And I pull it out. It's got a big dent in the quarter panel. And I started buying, you know, those uh, studs, the 
you weld the stud to the car and then you use a, yeah. a damp puller to them, right? Yeah. I, I put hundreds of these things <laughs> in this quarter panel, just popping each one out and then breaking it off and then welding another <laughs> one. About, oh, I spent all this time on this car, right? And uh, I put a porter power in the from the inside of the car, putting pressure on the quarter panel. Oh, yeah. It actually came out pretty nice. And if you look at the car, the, the quarter panel doesn't look caved in really. But if you look, I believe it was the passenger side, the top edge of the quarter panel, like, you know, where the top of the door goes up yeah. into the quarter panel. If you were to mm -hmm. rub your finger along that edge, you would reach a point where there's a kink in it. That kink, <laughs> that kink went all the way to the bottom of the car. That whole quarter panel was like pushed in. I'd say like six inches or so at least. So I'm doing all this work and it's like day after day after day after day. And then I said, what the hell am I doing? This car is missing tons of parts. It has nothing. It has no interior in it. It has no drivetrain to it. It needs a front end suspension. You know, I have no idea what's going on with the rear end. Like it is stripped to the bones. It had no fenders on it. It had no hood on it. It had no grill. Uh, I think it had a back bumper, but it didn't have a front bumper. <laughs> I mean, it was missing everything. And somebody had cut the tr the trans tunnel like they were going to put a four-speed in it or something at one point, right? And so I just – I'm like, this, this is stupid. <laughs> so I said, screw this car. I'm getting rid of it, and I'm going to spend my time on another car that – you know, I've got chargers up to my eyeballs that are – in. 10 times better shape than this car. Like, why am I wasting my time on this thing? So I decided to sell it. Folks, and I want you to understand right here before Johnny continues that he had so many chargers that he decided to get rid of one because it was too much work. Okay. <laughs> I want you to think about that for a minute so that you can cry into your pillow at night like <laughs> I do. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Johnny, continue this. No problem. When I listen to you talk, I, I know you and I know you're a good guy. So when I hear you say these things, I can only imagine if I was listening to this show and I wasn't sitting here talking to you, I'd be like, this guy's out of his mind. He's getting rid of it. <laughs> what does he think? Hey, when you've got one too many, <laughs> right? Sometimes right? you got to start cutting those cords. You God, that you have problems that 99.9% .9 of Mopar people that don't have those cool cars <laughs> wish they had. I know yeah. I'm sitting here. I'm like, God, I, I would die to have that problem with darts. If I had too many yeah. darts, I'm like, oh, I got to get rid of one today. See yeah. ya. <laughs> but I'm sorry, buddy, continue. No problem. It was a different time, man. It was sure, definitely sure. a different time. You know, in fact, perfect segue. I decided to sell the car and I had lots of charger parts too. I, I never had a glut of fenders. Fenders were always hard to find for chargers all the way back, you know, and someday I'll tell you the story of my, my 68 charger, my high school car, you know, well, I, I told you already that the previous owner had a little bit of a drinking problem and he <laughs> yeah. wiped out the front end of that car. I had to put a 70 front clip on that car just to, just to drive it and oh, wow. could not find parts for it. But anyways, uh, so I put the chart, I, I gathered up parts that I had to make the car look more presentable because, you know, with the whole front clip off of the car, it had no deck lid on it, no interior in it. It was like, there wasn't much there other than the shell. So I took, I think I had already sold the red car. Um, this guy, he would come from the Midwest somewhere and he would come out to the West coast every now and then. And he, I, I think he 
somehow found my buddy and then my buddy gave him my number and he would buy parts. He'd just buy Mopar parts and then take them back to the Rust Belt and sell them because it was clean California parts, you know. So he, he calls me up and he's like, you got anything for sale? And I'm like, you know, rusty roof charger. I'd already gotten rid of my spare roof that I had. So it was like, yeah, I'll get rid of this car. I think I sold it for 600 bucks. <laughs> I know, but I kept, I kept some parts. I mainly the fender. I kept the fender off of the car. I had a blue hood sitting on it. I think that came from my own parts cash, you know, uh, sold that car. And then when I was putting general mayhem together to sell, I had started to black primer the car. I threw a deck lid on it. Uh, I started black primering the car. And then I think I was like, it's, it needs a fender in a, in a hood, you know, preferably two fenders, but I only had one and I, from that red car. So I threw the red fender on it. And then I'm looking at my other parts and it's like, you know, my dad's, the hood from my dad's charger was already cut out. So out of all of my nice hoods, it was like, that was the, worst hood and i'm like you know when i got it as a when i was younger and i wanted the hood and i got it from my dad i i was like oh yeah i'm gonna have a drag car and i'm gonna have you know a scoop on top of that hole so it's like i really wanted it but by that time i was kind of over all of that sure so uh i threw that hood on the car so the hood and the fender were sort of an afterthought which is why they never got black primer black like the rest of the car yeah (laughs) And then uh, put it up for sale. And yeah, the, you know, I know it sounds amazing, but it's like, it's not just me. You know, I got everybody calling me on the car. I think I listed it for three grand to start. And, you know, lackluster response. So it dropped to like 2,800. I think I dropped it again to 2,600. I get people calling me and just, telling me their dreams and aspirations. One of the guys I can, <laughs> one of the stories I can remember was the guy, this guy calls me up and he's like, uh, he's like, oh, I always wanted to build an old funny car, like the first, you know, 68 charger funny cars, which, you know, if you remember the Mr. Norm's funny yeah, car, supercharger. Yeah. They're actually yeah. really narrow cars. Like yeah. I, I don't know how many, how many inches are cut out of it, but he wanted to build that. He wanted to cut a section down the center of the car and narrow the car. Of course, I'm like, I would not do that. But I didn't I didn't care. I'm not going to tell. It's like, you can do what you want as long as you buy the car. But I had to listen to his long story. Like, everybody's listening to my long story now. But, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I'm like, so you're going to buy it or what? You know? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to try to come up with the money, man. I'm going to call you back. Oh, okay. God. Never, never called back. Yeah, I got a lot of those calls, lots. And uh, Freiberger, I think he shot me an email and he said, hey, I'm David Freiberger, you know, editor for Hot Rod Magazine, you know. And of course, I'm I'm like, I don't care. I don't know who the hell you are. (laughs) You know, he wasn't as famous as he is today. But uh, uh, he goes, hey, I got um, I I think he emailed me first and then I, I called him or he called me. Anyway, he said, uh, I've got some brand new Mopar aluminum heads in the box. They've never been mounted on an engine. Um, would you be willing to trade? Because he's like, you know, I think those heads at that time were around 2200 bucks or so. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm asking like 
maybe it was asking 2,400 for the car. So it's like, and I would already had in my head, it's like, you know, I'm at 2,400. I'm expecting to go down to 22. If somebody offered me 22, I'll let the car go, you know? Um, so I was like, yeah, let me think about it. You know, I looked it up. It's like, yeah, the heads are going for this much. I'm like, screw it. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll take those heads. I always wanted stage six heads. Not that these were stage six heads, but <laughs> yeah. it's like, this is a close, you know, aluminum heads and everything. So I told him I'd do the trade. So he came out and, uh, I, I think I told you this before. It's, it's funny. Cause he, how you see him on TV, that's how he is. He really is like that. I mean, he showed up in shorts and flip-flops. I think he was wearing socks with the flip-flops, <laughs> if I remember right, you know? Uh, and uh, cool guy, just shooting the shit. And he says, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think I'm going to build it like a, a NASCAR because there's so many parts missing on the car. And if you're building a NASCAR race car, yeah. you, you know, you, you wouldn't need all those parts. It'd just be empty. You know, so just drop a drivetrain in it and make it into a, a NASCAR clone. So I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Sounds cool. You know, so he said, all right, I'm going to send my buddy out. And I think it was the following weekend. His buddy came out with a trailer and brought the heads and loaded up the car and away it went. And then I think it sat. Cause that was 2009 and I'm not sure when the roadkill episode started, but, uh, I think it was quite a few years later, maybe fall. Oh, yeah. That car had to have been, yeah. That car had to have been sitting for years. Yeah. Hopefully his place not on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So that bottle of piss that was in the car that had, that was not at my place. Just so we're clear <laughs> about that. <laughs> I didn't even that have happened. that on my list of questions. I should have put it on a list of questions. Yeah. Yeah. God, not me. Funny. So, you sell the car to Freiburger. Yeah. You have no idea that this car is going to eventually become the flagship of roadkill. You have no idea. No idea. When is the next time you see the car and what's your, like, do you understand that that's the charger I sold? Like, what was that like? So Anthony Spriggs, a guy on Facebook, I, I, I don't know. Somehow we friended, Somehow, I, I can't even remember. I think it was on some other website, some other car type website, because I wasn't even into Facebook back then. Okay. And uh, he would just, you know, shoot the shit with me here and there, kind of touch base with me. And then um, he's, I think he was the one that told me, he goes, Hey, dude, I think one of your cars is on that, on this TV show, Roadkill, you know? And I'm like, Really? And he goes, Yeah. And so, that's when I went out to go look for the roadkill show, which I believe, you know, they didn't have their, their network stuff at the time. It was just on YouTube. So yeah. if I remember right. So yeah, yeah they right. got, I searched it out on YouTube and I was like, Oh yeah. You know? So that was the first time I saw it. It's kind of a trip. It's like, yeah, it looks exactly like it did when I left my yard, <laughs> except it runs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a trip. It, Johnny's had so many Mopars that one of them became famous. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's like having ten kids and one of them becoming an actor or something. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> the, the odds. The rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So, you see your old car. It's you know on the internet at that time on YouTube, and then eventually it blows up on TV. The car ends up becoming you know famous. <laughs> like yeah. in auto in the automotive world, the car is famous. I think Definitely. 
anybody in the world of Mopar, if you say, hey, do you know Roadkill? They'd probably say yes. Do you know General Mayhem? They'd probably say yes. I mean, I know when I saw the car, I thought, I I'd drive that daily. I'm looking around like, yeah. I don't think anybody that I know would drive that car daily, but I sure yeah. as hell would, <laughs> you yeah. know, because I'm, I'm crazy like that. But what do you think of the evolution of the car? Man, I'm a bit torn on it. I mean, to be honest, yeah. when I saw the show come out, like, and you gotta, you gotta kind of think like, now we think of the show, I think most people would never want to change anything about the car really, you know, but yeah. when it first came out, I was like, man, I had some shitty grills laying around. Like I wish, I wish I had thrown enough pieces like broken grills in the car so they could have like, you know, zip tied something together. Cause I hated that mesh they put on it with the two headlights on there. <laughs> I hated it. But, uh, you know, shit, I forgot what your, your question was. <laughs> it was the evolution of the car. Oh, okay. From when Sorry. you sold yes. it and, and yeah, and where it's at now. So I, I loved everything with the, the motorhome 440. Mm -hmm. I wish they did a little more because, you know, I had, my Roadrunner story is very similar to how this car was kind of built. You know, the, I, I ended up picking up a, um, a factory warranty engine, long block RV engine, 440. And I put that in my Roadrunner, but I put a cam in it and headers and, you know, did some stuff to it to make it, give it a little more pep. And I, so if, with that backdrop, I wish they had done a little more with the 440 rather than just sort of pull, plucking it from the mo motorhome and dropping it in. It's like, man, sure. if you guys just threw a little cam in there, throw some headers on there, some, you know, give it a, just a little bit more bitching. Yeah. I think it would have been awesome. But once they got the car running and they're tearing through all the dirt fields and stuff, it's like, yeah, that's badass. I loved it. I loved that car. I love that point of evolution on the car. When they went to the Hellcat or is it a Hellcat motor? When they went yeah. to the bigger motor. Yep. It, I think it changed it. You know, I, I think today I think it's cool. And I think it would probably be a disservice to take the car back from that and, you know, take it to a previous step in its evolution. But I would have rather what they ended up doing with that 440 and they put it in crop duster. I think if they had just done that and put that motor back into general mayhem, to me, that would have been perfect. And I, and they should have saved the Hellcat thing for something else, you know? Yeah. That's just my Thought. I'm kind of with you. The only the only saving grace with that is that we got to see the build off between Roadkill and Gas Monkey because I was a I was a big fan of Aaron Kaufman, and mm -hmm. when they got a dart, I was like, oh yeah, here we go, finally, yeah, some love yeah. for the dart because you get all these automotive shows, and very seldomly do you see them build a, a dart. So for a, yeah. for dart guys like myself, we're like, yes, finally one for us. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that was a that was a fun. That was a fun little build off to watch, but yeah, that general mayhem. That's when I found out you were the owner or the old owner of general mayhem. I was like, God, that's crazy. I couldn't imagine yeah. like if I sold my dart and somebody got a hold of it and something yeah. crazy like that happened. I was like, it's just nuts looking like that used to be in, I used to work on that car. Yeah. Now, have you seen, have you seen it in person? Have you actually like seen the car in person since it's been? No, done? no, really? I haven't. No, actually. Well, and even my buddy has, my buddy took a bunch of pictures. It was at the LA, uh, car show. I don't know, a few years ago. And that car was there and he's like, Oh, look at your car. Took pictures of it and stuff. <laughs> I didn't know about it. So it was like, whatever. 
when we went to the zip tie drags in Tucson, uh, I believe that was 2018, January 2018, if I remember right, 17 or 18. Um, I was really hoping the car would be there. You know, it, it's kind of a long haul from Southern California to there. Yeah. And, uh, but my buddy Chris Field and I went and we brought our families. And uh, I was like, I want to go. I want to bring, I still have the cylinder heads and they're still in the box. I still, I've never put them on an engine. Uh, and I wanted them to sign the heads or at least the box. I, I ended up bringing just one box and uh, I left the head in it just, I don't know, just for, be like yeah this the cylinder head's still there you know yeah and uh i actually found finnegan first and and kind of told him was like hey you know i sold you guys uh general mayhem i traded it for these cylinder heads and i was wondering if you could sign the box and he's like oh yeah sure you know finnegan was really cool really cool dude so he signed it and then um i was like do you know where Freiburger's at and he's like ah, i don't know he's he's filming something somewhere and i'm like okay and then and then he's like, there he is, you know, and he was kind of being ushered by, uh, this lady was with him. Like they were going to go do some filming or something. Mm. And I was like, Hey Dave, can I, can I get you to sign this box? And I told him too, I was like, I don't, you probably don't remember me, but I, I traded you general mayhem for these cylinder heads. And he's like, Oh yeah, cool, man. You know, and he signed it really fast. And then she basically rushed him away. And he's like, he's like, well, come by for the, uh, because him and Freiber or him and Finnegan would sit and like sign stuff, you know, sign t-shirts or whatever. He's like, well, come by and then, you know, we'll talk some more. I was like, all right, cool. And then, so the next day it was like, God, the line was just a mile long, you know, around the building. And I'm like, screw that. <laughs> I'm not waiting in that long line. So, but I got the box sign. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they hear this show. All right. I want you to be. I want you to be reunited with that car. They owe you a drive in that thing or something. Because if it wasn't for that car, they probably wouldn't be as. I mean, General Mayhem. They can say whatever they want. Great show. Love Roadkill. Love those guys. I think. I think they really did change, or at least have a giant impact on the car enthusiast market. I know you and I talked about that. The you know blue collar everyday guy can go out there and you know. It doesn't do have it. to look good. It just has to, you know, yeah, do what it does. And, you know, I, I commend them for that, but, uh, I definitely, uh, well, and I, I think if you, if you look at all the episodes, it's like that one episode with that one car, I think basically epitomizes everything about the show. I mean, it was Absolutely. just, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you used whatever, let's just say, a generic car let's say a chevelle that's you know uh, let's say a malibu not not quite as cool a non-s i don't know whatever it is it's like doing a charger especially now it's like they are so out of reach as far as uh being attainable or affordable and stuff but taking a car that even then even though it was sort of cheaper you know they they didn't pay anything for the car they got from me really but uh you know, by the time they were doing the show, it's like you're taking one of the most iconic muscle cars on the face of the planet that that deserves to be completely restored. Like most people would be like, this is a charger. You can't do that. You have mm-hmm. to restore this thing. You know, it's got to be all perfect, you know. So they took that car and they did 
this slam wham bam thank you ma'am and just tra- thrashed on the car going down dirt roads and trails and stuff like you know like it was nothing like they didn't care like how it really was you know yeah. back in the 90s you know absolutely so i know that yeah they uh i i agree 100% i don't think they would have had as much of an impact if it wasn't for the charger if it was a camaro yeah. or like you said a chevelle or a malibu i mean come on yeah, it had to have been a charger. It was destiny so. that you would get some cylinder heads for that charger and that charger would become famous. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, I hope that shirt you're wearing, I hope that shirt was free. If not, hey, Freiburger, you need to send Johnny Mopar some free swag. Okay. He because does. I, was, I paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it in Tucson. I paid for it. Oh, give him a gift card or something. Come on. Right. <laughs> and it's wrong. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is in an inverted picture of the car so you see that fender that is on the other side it is that is a 69 fender that is funny. so it looks like it's i don't know if this video inverts or not because i've seen that you know but sure this is actually the picture is on the driver's side but the driver's side is a 68 that's what i put on the car a red 68 they put a 69 on the other side so yeah funny well there you go folks something you don't know and hopefully we can get this video online but so you guys can actually see what johnny's talking oh, yeah. about but now you have to make a video of it they i have, have to, to. Do that. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to do the research because i gotta be honest i haven't looked into i know that the audio records but i'm not sure how to get the video uh, okay I, I think it automatically records but I'm, I'm not sure so hopefully hopefully we don't lose the video hopefully we got this video cool um, but uh all right so that's general mayhem that's a uh, I've been wanting to get that story out there for a while because I know you've told it before online, but there's yeah. something about getting a story out where you actually can hear someone tell it. It's yeah, always better than just reading a Facebook post. So I'm oh, hoping definitely. that people now people know the origins of General Mayhem and that car <laughs> didn't just magically appear at Freiburger's place. Okay, no, no, <laughs> it was it was Johnny Mopar's first, and before that. It was in a pod <laughs> on some guy's property. Yep. That, I mean, you have to go back. I'm going to listen to this podcast again and just think about that because that it just that just seems like something a Mopar guy would do. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Code enforcement. We better bury these things. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Oh, we've talked about that all the time. We, we <laughs> John, <laughs> I've told John, it's like, yeah, what you really need is uh. Cause he's talked about burying cars, like burying them oh, underground. God. So code enforcement wouldn't know. <laughs> it's like, well, you need a hill. If you had a hill, then you could carve out a cave and put all your cars in there and then put brush over it or whatever, you know, <laughs> that's a, you know, I never really thought about that. Maybe I'll contact the cities and get a hold of some of those guys. Cause I'm sure they see some cars. I never really thought about oh, yeah. that. That might be a good way to find cars. Like, Hey, so you know, you court, code I, enforcement, huh? <laughs> I have a story. <laughs> hey, we got time. What, tell oh. us the story, Johnny. All right. Well, it's not my story. It's a buddy of mine's okay. story. But uh, somewhere out here, this uh, guy had like 100 cars or something like that. And code enforcement nailed him and was going to abate all his, or he had abated. They, they call it abated vehicles. That's the the crime. It's abated vehicles. Basically, a bunch of nine running cars in your property. I think he had 100. And, um, so my buddy, my buddy, Eric, he lived next door to this guy that was a tow truck driver, I think for AAA. And, uh, 
or maybe contracts with AAA. I don't know how all that works. But anyways, he tells him, he's like, hey, dude, this guy's got 100 cars. We're all going in there, like a bunch of tow trucks, and they're towing all of these cars out, and they're all going to the crusher. They're all going to the junkyard. And he says one of them is a 69 Polara police car, uh, a real police car, like black and white, was a California Highway Patrol car. Cool. And uh, he says it's got a big block in it, you know, or, well, he, he's, he didn't know, but my buddy was like, it's probably a big block. He's like, yeah, I want the motor out of that thing. A uh, tree had fallen on the car, so the roof was crushed on it, I guess. So um, he's like, well, how much? And he's like, I think he paid two or 300 bucks for the car. So the neighbor tow truck driver goes to the property. You know, there's a bunch of these tow trucks going in. They're all grabbing cars and they're leaving. Instead of taking the Polara to the boneyard or the crusher or whatever, he takes it to my buddy's house, gets the 200 bucks, and then goes back to hauling other cars out of there. I don't know what else was in the yard. I think that was the only Mopar. But my buddy pulls the 440 out of the car, and then he's got this 69 Polara black and white <laughs> cop car with the roof crushed on it. And he's in a housing track li living at his grandma's, his grandma and grandpa's place, and uh, no room. No backyard, no side access. It's like, he's got to get rid of this thing. So what does he do? He pushes it down the street and around the corner and just abandons the car. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then until, you know, a cop rolls by or something, sees abandoned car, and then they tow the car off, and, it, of course, it gets crushed. So later on, he ended up putting that 440 in his 69 Roadrunner. But, you know, he'll tell you now, he's like, yeah. What was I thinking? Why didn't I keep that car? That what, <laughs> how cool is that? A real California Highway Patrol car, you know? So, very cool. Yeah, that's a gosh. I, sometimes I wonder. Like, I've been to an auction that was pretty cool. It was a a guy locally named Ben Snowbar, and he's a local legend as far as Mopars go. And the auction was crazy. I've never seen a Mopar collection as big as his. And I don't know wow. if I'll ever see one that big again. I have all sorts of pictures from that thing. But I couldn't help but wonder while I was at that auction. I was like, I wonder how many collections like this exist that nobody knows about publicly. You know what I mean? Yeah. That I mean, Ben was, I mean, he sold parts and, you know, he was everybody in the Mopar, in the local Mopar scene to me in the Northwest knew who he was. I'm wondering how many of those guys exist that, you know, stay reclusive, that just go to these, yeah. you know, swap meets and whatnot and buy these parts and just don't tell anybody and what's yeah. going to happen to these collections, you know? So I don't know. I was, I've, I've been saying for a while that I just need to save up, you know, a lot of money so that yeah. when those auctions come up, cause I've seen a couple where I wish I could have attended just to get one thing. I got one thing from that auction. I told myself, I was like, all right, I've got a little bit, I got a little bit of money, but I, I don't have enough to buy a car, but I'm going to pick something in this collect. If you look at the pictures that I have, I have them on the Mopar Hunter page. He had so much stuff, like 10 lifetimes worth of probably what I'll ever have. But yeah. he had a couple um, air cleaner lids, the, the Coyote Duster air cleaner lids, uh, apparently off of Hemi cars. And wow. I, he had two of them. One was, one was burnt up and the other one was, you know, a little patinaed and a little ratty. And I was like, I want that one. It was lot number one. I think it was one of the first lots that actually got auctioned off. And I was like, all right, you know, 
This is probably the only time I'm ever going to attend a Mopar auction like this. I'm right. I'm leaving here with a souvenir and I want that. So I told myself I've got I've got a lot of money and I'm willing to burn it just to have that. And I got into a bidding war with some guy who had a lot more money than me. Uh, and he actually, I I mentioned something about that online. He was like, oh, I was the guy who <laughs> was bidding against you. And I bought the other one because I, I was getting greedy. I was like, I'm buying this one and the next one. I, I didn't buy the, I didn't buy the other one. I, I spent a little too much buying the first one. <laughs> but uh, man, I understand why the cars at like Barrett Jackson and Meekum, why they go for so much sometimes. Because yeah. even with little things, you know, when you're only spending a few hundred bucks, you know, they get into that bidding and you, you're winning the bid. And then all of a sudden some guy raises his hand. You're like, oh, you're trying to take something out from it. And then it becomes a bidding war. And it's like a it's a high that I can't explain. I'm like, God, it's a good yeah. thing I'm not rich because I probably would have just said how much for everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But yeah, those uh, I wonder how many collections like that exist and I'm how sure. many more auctions we're going to see in the future. Well, and a lot of that stuff doesn't go to auctions, you know, um, there was, well, that GTS that I bought from Mike coffee a few years ago, I think he said that the guy had passed away and his, so the wife was getting rid of all this stuff. And I don't know, it was a buddies of Mike's that had found this lady and he was buying some other kind of car, like an Oldsmobile or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, something else. And it's like, hey, you know, he knows Mike's into Mopar. So, hey, he's got a couple of Mopars over here. And so, uh, and the brother was was there and he had some Mopars. You know, you'll have to get the story from Mike. But but basically, this guy passed on and he had a handful of cars. And it wasn't a huge collection, but I think it mm-hmm. was five or six cars or something like that. And one of them was this freaking GTS that just... You know, I think it's been sitting there from the 80s. The 340 got plucked out of it. The trans was gone, but the car just sat there and cooked, you know, paint was all wow. pretty much cooked on it, but it had nice patina to it, you know. Um, and then I have some Danish friends that um, they bought a Firebird f- from somebody. And so long story short, because they're in Denmark, this guy brought the Firebird to my house to park it here and then it's going to go over to Denmark. Right. When the guy comes to bring the car, he's like, Oh yeah, this guy, this guy passed away. He had a whole collection of cars and, uh, he starts showing me on his cell phone. He's like, yeah, check out, you know, these cars. One of them's a 70 charger RT. Uh, I think it was a 444 speed plum, crazy purple, like restored, but it was just cake dust like the car had been sitting for five or ten years and this firebird was the same way and he had you know he wasn't like into any particular brand he had a bunch of cars but um yeah passed away the wife's like just get rid of them you know it never went to auction this guy somehow got hooked up with her and was like i'll help you sell these cars and so they started selling these cars off and uh yeah, I'm not even sure where where they posted them, but my Danish friends bought the Firebird. Crazy. So, I think there's a lot of them out there. I think there's a lot of guys out there like there's, that. There definitely is. Um, what do you what do you think about the current marketplace as far as Mopars with the pricing and whatnot? Because you, we see everything. I mean, yeah. you're a great example of there's still deals to be had. You just have to be in the right place at the right time or know the right yeah. people. 
And then there's cars that people are flipping or pulling out of the weeds and knowing what the car is or what it could be and trying to capitalize on that. So I'm wondering someone like yourself who has a giant collection and has a lot of the cars that a lot of us, you know, every time we see one on Craigslist, we just drool over it. And a lot of us complain about how high the prices are and whatnot. So as someone who's been in the game for a long time, do you think that the prices are out of hand? What's your stat? What's your, what's your opinion on the current Mopar marketplace? Uh, I'd say yes and no. I mean, I think there's some cars that are pie in the sky, you know, that are just, they see it on Barrett Jackson, the car, Mm -hmm. you know, they've got their four door Valiant with a slant six in it. And they think, well, it's the same thing as that Hemi super B that went across the (laughs) block, you know, so it must be worth (laughs) $40,000. You know, I think you have that. Uh, you gotta like, not to pick on Mike, you know, I love Mike and I think this is a perfect example. Like I, I just recently shared one of his posts. I loved what he posted about like, (laughs) (laughs) this isn't the nineties anymore. I'm not addicted to meth, you know, all this Mm -hmm. stuff. And (laughs) I think Mike actually prices his cars where they're worth. I think he's really good at, you know, sure. He, he gets some, he steals them sometimes, you know, he gets really good prices on them sometimes. And I, I see so much hate, like people get mad at him because it's like, you're just a flipper and stuff. And it's like, so what dude, it does just because he got the car for a deal. Doesn't mean he has to sell it for a deal. What's wrong with him selling it for what it's worth, you know? And I don't think his prices are that unrealistic, you know? And it doesn't mean if he's asking 25 grand for a 71 Cuda, it doesn't mean that, you know, he's, I think on that car, he is stuck on that price. He's firm on it. But in other cases, you know, whatever his asking price is, he may not be totally stuck on that price. He might be willing to come down a little bit. He's always open to trades too, you know. Um, He seems like that type. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely got a revolving door, you know. Uh, I've bought a lot of stuff from him and I've sold a lot of stuff to him and and uh, he's a totally cool guy, and and I think he's always been reasonable. But you got to factor in too, like, you know, if you're somewhere in the part of the country where your cars are rusted out, like a '71 Cuda there is not the same thing as a '71 Cuda in from California that's been here its whole life, you know. And I'm just using this car as an example because he has one for sale. This car is really solid. I mean. If you buy that car from that rust, that place where it's half rusted out and you start yeah. factoring in, well, what's it going to cost? You know, yeah, sure. You, maybe you paid six grand for the car, but now it needs frame rails and it needs floorboards and it needs quarter panels. You know, you start adding all that stuff up. And if you can't do it yourself and you've got to yeah. pay somebody to do it, yeah. oh man, <laughs> you're going to be at 25 grand real quick. You know, you'd be People better don't off. realize that, you know, they- no, they don't, they don't factor it in. They think they could do it themselves. I think a lot of cases, but back to my mistake with the duster, you know, and that car was a solid car. I didn't have any rust issues with that car, but that car was just a shell. And I put everything into that car. And you don't know that when you, when you start off, you don't, that's not something you're going to know unless somebody tells you, you know, but those kinds of projects, they take years, they take tons of time, they take money. You know, I could tell you there was times on that duster, I'd get out there and 
I take vacation, you know, I take like a week or two off and just bust on the car and I get all of this particular thing done. You know, like the rear end is done. I put the frame connectors on it or I finish the mini tub on it, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And then it's like, eat, you know, out of money, <laughs> back to work. The car sits another couple of years before I touch it again. You know, that's the reality. You take a car like that, that Cuda that Mike's got and it's like, dude, turn the key, the thing starts, it runs. You could drive that car. Like it needs, yeah. you know, it's been sitting and it probably needs some stuff. It probably needs like a tune-up, you know, pl spark plugs, sure. plug wires, an oil change maybe, who knows, you know. But the thing freaking runs and I've heard it, it sounds bitching. It's like, you, you really, you really should, if you're looking at a car that's rusted out and you should just add up everything it's gonna cost, how long it's going to take to restore that car. And even if you came to the conclusion, like I can do this for $15,000, but it's going to take 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> dude, spend the extra 10 grand, buy it done, you yeah. know, and roll it, roll it and work on it while you're rolling it. That's exactly how I feel. I think a lot of these guys, you know, they want project cars for, you know, a few thousand dollars expecting that they're going to, be able to do all the work themselves and put all this money into the car themselves. But it, I'm at, I'm at the point where I'm looking at cars like Mike's like that Cuda and I'm going, it's, it's worth the money. It, even if it was overpriced, I'm like, it's worth the money to not have to deal with that hassle that I can get in yeah. the damn thing, turn yeah. the key, you know what I mean? And Hey, yep. for a lot of these guys that talk about project cars and wanting to buy them for cheap, you know, buy the cars that you only have to do a tune up on. Cause that's probably all you're capable of. And I think a lot of right. people need to come to that realization. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I definitely bit off more than I could chew with my dart just because I don't have, I didn't think about the space. And then, you know, just because it's a dart doesn't necessarily mean that the parts are very cheap, you know, especially yeah. with me. Cause yeah. I'm like, well, I, I want a big block dart. You know, I have all these, yeah. you know, big dreams. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm, tallying up all the dumb shit I bought for the car. And I'm like, I'm in this car, almost 10 grand. And it isn't yeah. even, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just thinking yeah. about all these parts. And a lot of them I've just flipped because I'm like, well, I really don't need that right now. So let's get yeah. rid of that, get some more cash flow and try to work on some other things. So right. it just, a lot of people just need to really sit down and figure out what exactly they're looking for. Because yeah. I, I admit, I see these cars. I mean, I look at them all the time. And I see cars, I'm like, that's a good deal, but it needs everything. Yeah. It's going to be one of those cars that's going to sit and I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. And it's going to be a cool story. And that's probably what it's going to amount to. And I think yeah. a lot of these people just want that cool story. Oh, I got a 68 charger, you know what I mean? Or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for me, I think the best move for a lot of people, I'd say a large percentage of Mopar enthusiasts that, you know, go to pages like mine, the Mopar Hunter and look at these project cars. I think the best thing is to find one that you can spend a little bit extra on, but enjoy right away. It keeps you motivated because I can't count how many yeah. times I've lost motivation on my dart just because it's been sitting oh, yeah. there. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? I have these discussions with my buddy at work all the time. You know, he's a car guy and uh, he's into everything, but he's got a 68 Roadrunner. He's a Mopar guy. He got from me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but you know we we've, we've talked about that and it's like you know you can sit there and you can 
we, we all have these dreams and, and nobody knows the true cost. We never really sit down and figure out the hours and, you know, the money that is going to pour into this car and what the timeline is going to look like when it's done. And like, you know, he said a few times, he's like, but I like wrenching on cars. And I'm like, so do I. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. I think like the perfect scenario is you at least have two cars always. And one of them runs and drives. And if that car runs and drives, like don't, don't take it apart. Don't, don't restore it. Don't paint it. Don't put another engine in it. You know, if, if the motor broke, like replace the motor, you know, just fix what you have to fix to keep it running and save all of your time and energy for doing all the tweaks. And, you know, you want to go high in the sky and put a crate motor in it, you know, Mm -hmm. put a elephant in it or whatever. That's fine. But do it on the other car, do it on the car that's in the garage. And that's a long-term project. And while that car is being wrenched on, enjoy your car, you know, your cool car that you can drive every day. And, you know, it's all patina or it's beat up or whatever, Mm -hmm. but Dude, I'm telling you, you do not have to have a restored car to have fun. I've had more fun, like I said, with my Roadrunner. I had more fun with my Roadrunner than I have with my Coronet. I, I like my Coronet more. Obviously, I kept <laughs> it. I didn't keep the Roadrunner. But, uh, yeah, you start adding up, tallying up all of the fun factor of the car. I had way more fun with the rough car than I did with the nice car. And I, I think you saying what you just did is going to open a lot of people's eyes because... I think the same thing. If I somehow get the money together, I've honestly been talking to my wife and I'm like, when my truck's paid off and I can afford another payment, I think I'm just going to go get a Mopar that's, you know, not a show winner, but something that's a good 20 footer, 10, 20 footer, you know, you know, spend 20, 25 and just have something that I, at least then that will keep my sickness at bay while I work on my dart, you know, because the longer I think about it, because I, you know, I got this free, the, my project free 18, the three, the three eighteen I got for free <laughs> just so I can get this damn thing on the road. I've yeah. become desperate. I'm like, all right, big block. I still have you. I still got the big block at the machine shop. I still got all the parts for that. I'm just going to push it to the side just to get the car on the road so I can iron out all the other kinks. Yeah. You know, cause, cause there's going to be a lot of them. Oh, there are. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I got the 451. I've, I've got a 727 that was supposedly rebuilt. I still haven't cracked it open yet. I probably should do that. And then I buy the full kit to put the big block in the dart, got the headers, you know, that's a thousand bucks right there. And then I'm like, okay, I need a rear end. So I spend 400 bucks and I get just the housing for a a body eight and three quarter. And the more and more I think about it, the more and more I'm like, well, you know, it's cool to have a a body eight and three quarter, but God, it's way cooler to have a Dana 60. So I'm like, sure I'm going to go is. find a Dana 60. I see a guy who's getting rid of a Dana 60 for 50 bucks. And I'm like, oh. okay, well, I'm going to have to chop it anyway for the. So I basically, I just need the housing, basically. Yeah. So I buy it and then I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, now I got to find somebody that can chop it down. How much is that going to cost me? How much yeah. is it going to cost me to put this rear end together to put in the dark? Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at yep. almost a thousand bucks for that. And then. Oh, well, I need a drive line because that drive line from the 273 ain't going to work. So yeah. I need that. And then, you know, gosh, Dana 60, those little 15 by eights back there, the 255s, that's nah, not enough. I need something <laughs> a little wider. I guess I have to mini tub. I got, yeah. I got to go inboard with this. Yep. So it just started adding up. And I was like, what have I done? <laughs> what have yeah. I done? I, I could have had a 360 or a 340 in that car by now running and driving because I have everything. I still have the drive line. 
I sold the uh, 904 that was in the trunk when I bought the car, not thinking that I would ever need a 904. What do I need right. that thing for? Get rid of it. <laughs> and now oh, I'm like, I'm going to put a 318 in it someday. God, <laughs> you know, I just, every, now I'm happy that I have the 318 and I'm, I've just got some parts that I uh, bought online. So I'm, I'm getting motivated to do that. But I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, God, it kind of leaves and, a sour taste in my mouth because I'm like, this isn't exactly what I wanted to do with the car. And I'm stuck yeah. doing it because of money. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. So, well, and you're going to, it's easier to stay motivated when you're enjoying the car. You're, yeah. you're having some fun with the car, you know. Obviously, the 318 isn't going to make the same power the 451 is going to make, but you know that's just going to motivate you more to get that 451 squared away. But, dude, it's so it's so cool driving these old cars. And like sure. like I told my buddy Bob, you know, at work, uh, these conversations we always have. It's like, yeah, you know, you go to a car show. And and it was worse in the '90s than now. I think I, I think now if you bought a car that had a bunch of patina into a car show, it seems like those get more attention than the restored cars do nowadays. But if in the nineties, like that was like a piece of crap car, you know, people <laughs> didn't really, it's like, God, what are you doing in here? This isn't a, sh yeah. you know, your car's not painted or anything, you know? Uh, but, and we kind of, we kind of do that when we go to local car shows, right? You kind of see one that's a little rough and against the sea of beautiful restored cars. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, that thing kind of looks crappy, but, when you're out there on the street, you know, like we're rolling to lunch. I mean, we do this well before all this coronavirus crap, but go to lunch and, and when we go to Jack in a box, this particular street corner, it's like all these old cars keep going by and a lot of them are primered. A lot of them are rough looking and it's like, you're still rubbernecking. It's like, Oh, did you oh, see yeah. that? That's oh, badass, yeah. you know, and they sound good and they're driving. Uh, so, no matter how rough the car is, if it's an old school car and it's in primer and it sounds good and it's going down the road, dude, you're light years ahead. You know, that's, that is a good thing to have. And yeah, have your second car in the garage that you're going to make super bitching someday. You yeah, know? sure. I, uh, I agree 100%. It just, what you just said reminded me of, I was at a car show once at Mopar car show and I won't get into too many specifics because the car is pretty if the owner ever listened to this podcast, he'd go, he's talking about my Hemi car. Yeah. I'm looking at this yeah. car and we'll just say it's a Hemi car. I'm not going to say yeah. what it was, but it's a Hemi car. Beautiful car. The guy had a photo album full of pictures of the restoration and the car was just beautiful. And I'm looking at him like, God, this, I would love to have this. And uh, I'm talking to him and I was wearing a Mopar Hunter shirt because this is like when the Mopar Hunter first started. And you know, I kind of ask him a couple questions and he kind of just blows me off. And, I'm, you know, some Mopar guys are like that. Some guys are just, yeah. I don't know why, you, I don't know why you bring your car to an effing car show. If you don't want to talk yeah. about your car. Yeah. Okay. I don't I know. Don't like maybe, people. <laughs> maybe I, yeah, he either was not a people person or he just didn't like me. I don't, I don't know yeah. what it was, but he ended up leaving. And my wife was talking to his wife because she had a little dog and my wife's a dog girl and what have you. So they're talking and, I start asking questions and it turns out that she, the wife sold the husband down the river. It was hilarious. I was like, so your husband built this car? And he's like, oh no, he just bought it down in Florida. And I'm like, oh, 
because I was asking him some questions like, oh, you know, you know, technical stuff that if you built the car. Yeah, yeah. You know? So for me, I mean, would I go buy, if I had the money, if I had deep pockets, would I go buy a fully restored car that I didn't put one drop of blood, sweat or tears into? I absolutely if I had that kind of money, I would because there's a lot of sure. really nice cars that would just sure. cost you too much to build and it's easier just to buy them. Yeah. But I have a lot more respect for the guys that get, I would have more respect for the kid who goes out and buys a 74 scamp, you know, yeah. pulls the three, eight pulls the slant six, throws the three eighteen, and it gets it running, has a little, has a little thump in the cam, you know, and just, you know, brings a car back to life and loves it because he put that work into it to get yeah. it on the road versus yeah. a guy who just, you know, signed a check, handed it over and took, and, you know, spent, three grand to have the car shipped to his house, you know, that kind of thing. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but for those of you out there that are listening that have those types of cars and you're going to be a jerk, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just, Hey, just admit that you bought the car like that. You know, don't try to front. I hate that. (laughs) Just tell me you bought the car like that. Hey, that's cool, man. I wish I could buy a car like that. You know what I mean? But yeah, that, that annoys me, but I, uh, I agree with what you say. I, I really do. I love seeing old cars on the road. I don't care what shape they're in. Just seeing them on the road is cool, you know? And- well, yeah. And and the level of car too, right? Like, uh, you know, back in the day, it was like, well, if you didn't have a Charger or a Roadrunner or a six-pack or a Hemi, it was like, you didn't really have a car, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, it's like, if you see, I see four doors go down the road and it's like, oh, that looks cool. It's so cool. Because they're so rare now. You don't see those kinds of cars on the street anymore, you know. So even seeing a four-door or a big sea body tuna boat, it's kind of refreshing. And it's it's sort of bitching, you know. So what what I noticed, the trend that I noticed is before the ratty muscle cars, it was really cool to have an old ratty truck. Yeah. You had the ratty truck. People love those old ratty farm trucks, you know. Yeah. I don't know what, I mean, I I love them. So I guess I do know what it is, but (laughs) yeah, before it's like, you know, it's like the ratty scene kind of slowly drifted in. And I don't know if that just happened because people couldn't afford the really nice stuff or if people really were just enthusiastic about getting these cars back on the road. I don't know. I personally, when I'm at a car show, like you were saying earlier, you know, you see one ratty, we'll just say a ratty Mopar, you know, you see a yeah. ratty Roadrunner at a car show, and then it's surrounded by cars that, you know, have serious money invested yeah. for me. Like uh, Freiburger has a shirt that says I flock to hoopties or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> I would yeah. go right to the ratty Roadrunner first, <laughs> you know, I yeah, don't know you what know, it is, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a blank canvas type of thing. You know, I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just cause it's so unique. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's, like we talked about the vitamin C Superbird. It's like, well, if there's 10 of them in a row and they're all sporting 446 packs and they're all vitamin C orange, it's sort of like, how do you yeah. distinguish them apart <laughs> from each other, you know? And and, and then you see, uh, you know, the Joe Dirt Daytona sitting there and it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's yeah. unique. <laughs> it's totally different than everything else sitting there. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. it it's kind of refreshing that it's uh, it's become so popular, you know, the ratty, the ratty scene uh, and it's spread into the muscle cars, you know um, I think for me, I could tell you for me, cause you know, I never really had a lot of money to begin with. I just, 
just my time, where I was, I got lucky. I got really lucky with a lot of the stuff that I got, you know, mm-hmm. over the years. And uh, t- for me, that was just normal. That was everyday life. You know, I didn't have the money to paint the car. So it was like I got the car and if there was a rusty fender on it or the fender was smashed and you had to put a blue fender on a red car, it's like, that's just what you did. You, you know, and if you had some rust, you sanded it and you primered it. You know, uh, my my buddy, uh, Ted Evans, he always called, uh, at least this was the 90s, right? Mopars were going up, but yeah. B-bodies were still really plentiful and pretty cheap. But he uh, coined the primer cars, he would call it Mopar Gray. Because he's like, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he had a shop and he would do a lot of fab work, him and his brother, uh, Ed. And uh, he's like, oh, he's freaking Chevy guys come in. They bring in a, you know, 56 Chevy. And, he, and he's, yeah, I want to get full tube chassis and tin work done, aluminum paneling, you know, tub it, cage, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, Ted's like, dude, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money, right? They just write a check. And he's like, get a Mopar guy in here. I'm like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And he's tell him, it's like, oh. How about just a cam change then? <laughs> you know, because we're always broke. <laughs> so we didn't have the money. He always knew Mopar Gray rolling in the yard. He knew <laughs> no money Mopar guy. So, That's hilarious, especially yeah. nowadays because Mopars, the new ones have that color destroyer gray, which is pretty much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. and, which, and I would never own one because yeah. of that. Because it's really? like, yeah, just because in our time it was like you were rolling gray because you were broke. It's like, I'm not going to pay for a car. That's that color. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Cause I grew up like when I was 16, the import scene just before fast and the furious was huge. And for some reason it was cool to have a primered import. Yeah. (laughs) The scene, the car enthusiast scene has always been weird because you had the muscle car scene, you know, in the sixties and seventies and then in the eighties, the street machines. And then the nineties, you had the pro streets And then somewhere in the mid to late nineties, the Japanese cars just hit really hard. And I think a lot of it had to do with the Southern California and a lot of the Asian population down there. And it just kind of just spread throughout the country and got really huge. But it's interesting how you see history does repeat itself. It just may be in a different flavor because I remember there used to be an import speed shop on every corner, at least up here. I'm sure Southern California, I mean, that's where it was born. You know, the yeah. whole import culture was born down there. But it's just interesting to see how the car scenes evolve over time. But essentially, they're yeah. all pretty much the same, just different flavors. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, did you mention the van? I mean, I think the 70s, oh, the, you had yeah, like the van. The van craze. Right. How can I forget the van craze? Yeah. And it, <laughs> when I was when I was in uh, junior high in the 80s, you know, this would have been like 84, 85 uh mini trucks at least here in yeah. california mini trucks mini yeah trucks. god <laughs> yeah yeah there's definitely the little scenes that have popped up over time and yeah you know it's just funny how history will repeat itself and you know i i think mini trucks are kind of coming back cuz my buddy had a mini truck you know in the early 2000s and it seemed like that scene was really popular up here in the northwest but I mean, you guys down there in Southern California and Arizona and Texas, you guys have the truck game on lock. <laughs> it's been like oh, that yeah, for a right? long time. God. Yeah. But uh, so talking about modern Mopars, how do you feel about the modern Mopars? Do you think FCA is doing a good job with catering to the enthusiast market or how do you feel about the new ones? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would love to have one. I I don't have one. I've sure. the closest I've come to one is a 06 Magnum we used okay. to have. Uh which is like archaic compared to these new ones now, you know, these new ones are just like off the hook, but, uh, I think they're great. You know, I think you, uh, you get into a little bit of a gray area for, for me, you know, I like the old, I like big blocks. I freaking love you're an old school guy. I'm an old school guy. I would never, I mean the Hellcat making 700 horsepower. It's like, that's awesome. You know, my old ass, 440s lucky to make 400 horsepower you know or 450 or so it's like i'd much rather have the big block in that car you know i just to me it just seems it just feels right it looks right you know smells right it lumps right you know it it's just how it should be but it doesn't mean i wouldn't own like a new challenger i would love to have like a scat pack challenger or something Mm -hmm. like that uh and i think i don't know it's uh Maybe it's because they make so much horsepower. It's sort of different. You know, it seems like like the old school cars, people would tweak on them, you know, like you do a lot of tinkering to their old school cars. You know, Uh, it doesn't seem like you get that so much nowadays. But then again, who am I to say? Because, you know, I was really young. I I was born in 72. So maybe in the 60s and the 70s, maybe 90% of the people just drove them for all I know. And it's just sure. those 10 percenters, you know, that yeah. would go out there and yeah. tweak on the cars. And then, yeah. you know, once I got older, it was like, I think those cars, I think with any cars or any of those generations, the cars go through an evolution sort of like, you know, they're just new cars, everybody drives. And then they go to this phase where it's like 10 to 15 years later, like nobody absolutely wants them. And they just go to the crushers and guys like me are knocking on the door, paying a hundred bucks for them, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And those guys, and then it's like that hot rod thing. Cause you look at the hot rods back in world war two, all these guys went to the war and they started yep. picking up all these skills and they come home, they got all these skills and what are they doing? They're taking these old cars, the old Model A's and Model T's, and they're getting them for nothing, dirt cheap. Yeah. There's thousands of them everywhere, you know, and they're hot rodding them. They're making them into customs and stuff. I don't think you could do that with a new car. You know, it's kind of hard to to go buy a $100,000 Hellcat and go, I'm going to just start cutting it up. <laughs> you know? Hey, there are crazy people out there, but I, I totally there understand what, you, what you're saying. And, you know, I, I equate it to back then you guys had carburetors and now there's fuel injection. So instead of tuning a carb, now you're pulling out the laptop and, you know, tuning fuel and timing curves and things like that. So it's, it's the same, but very, very different. It's just, and in my opinion, I don't see, that's another thing I can't, I wasn't around during the heyday of the muscle cars, so I can't compare the prices because I know looking at, I would love to have a new challenger. And then I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, anybody can go buy a new challenger, you know, they're fast off the lot. So for me, I would have to do something to personalize it a little bit, you know, make it my own, yeah. make it a little faster, you know, have some fun with it. But then you look at the prices, of, you know, how much it costs to do that to some of this new stuff. And you're like, yeah. are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'll take my chances with the free 18. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but man, we're almost going on two hours here, Johnny. That's why right, I, knew, I, I knew you'd be great to get on the show. And, you know, before we get into the six pack, which I, I told you about, and hopefully the people that have listened to the show remember the six pack, which we'll get into in a minute. Before we get into that, 
do you have a piece of you've been in the game for so long you've been a mopar guy for so long and you have so much experience buying and selling these cars and working on these cars do you have any mopar specific advice for people listening out there and it doesn't matter what type of advice body work you know engine work or just buying and selling one piece of advice doesn't have to be anything crazy but do you have one piece of advice for the people listening mopar related yeah i would say well aside from what we talked about earlier as far as like if you're just entering the game try to get something that's as complete as possible as mm -hmm. rust free as possible as much you know if, if it means you got to save up a little longer to get it do it it's you're It'll be light years ahead because these big projects, just, just think 10 years, it's going to take about 10 years to bring these, resurrect these cars. Absolutely. And you buy something that's a little more together. And even though it's rough, like, don't worry about trying to make it nice, you know, like painted and all that kind of stuff. Just drive it and enjoy it. And trust me, you'll have more fun than you could ever imagine. You'll get accolades. People are going to stop you on the streets and start telling you their stories about <laughs> how they used to have one. And, you know, I mean, do that. The other thing is those guys that have those projects, those deep projects, you know, just always keep moving on them. You know, I, I try to, it, it's, you get up there in age, you know, I'm 47 now. And, uh, you start to realize it's accelerating. Time is accelerating. The older you get, the faster it flies by. Yeah. And so these cars don't put themselves together and <laughs> it's really easy. Life throws you curveballs left and right. So, uh, you gotta, you gotta keep them moving. You just gotta always spend at least a little bit of time. Like I try to, it, even if it means I come home from work and I spend 15 minutes putting some tiny little part on the car, like that's 15 minutes that I save. Cause you know, we, we all think, Oh, this weekend is set aside for the car. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to knock it out. I'm going to get all this stuff done to the car. Right. And then you've, you've got to go to some birthday that your wife's reminding you about that you forgot, you know, some kid's birthday or something. So you're like, oh, there goes Saturday. Well, I still got <laughs> Sunday, you know? <laughs> so you try to get out there on Sunday and you're going to, you're going to get all this stuff down done. But you're going to hit a snag and you're going to go, oh, I need this one part. It's in the middle of two parts. So I can't proceed until I order this part. So let me go order it. And then I'll have to wait for next weekend. Like that kind of stuff happens all the time. Or you break yeah. a bolt in something and you got to get oh, a new part or you got to <laughs> extract it or something. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So try to, if, if you could spend a little time during the week or even those weekends that are commandeered, you know, they're going to get stuck doing something else. If you can get out there for 15 <laughs> minutes, a half an hour, and you can find those kinds of problems, at least you can go through the week like, all right, I got to remedy that problem and you can start working on it rather than, you know, taking a vacation day and then going, ah, oh, crap, now I can't do anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I'd say those are the two pieces of it, pieces of advice that I would give. Awesome. And I, I agree 100%. Those are great pieces of advice. Um, well, man, Hey, thanks for coming on the show. This has been, it's always fun talking to you. Uh, Johnny and I, you guys don't know this, but Johnny and I had a pre-interview call yesterday or well, it wasn't yesterday. It was earlier this week. What day was yeah, that? Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. And we spent a couple hours on the, <laughs> on the horn here, just talking, just BS. And so it's always fun. 
I don't have very many Mopar friends. Like I, I've the only reason I have any Mopar friends is because I started the Mopar Hunter and started meeting people that were crazy like me. And when you get into that and you meet people that are even crazier than yourself, it makes you feel really good. <laughs> makes you Johnny, feel normal, right? <laughs> Johnny, you're crazier than I am, but that's why I like you, buddy. <laughs> but thanks for coming on here and sharing your stories, man. Um, I'm sure it opened a lot of uh, people's eyes and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that, you know, they probably went right on Craigslist halfway through this conversation. They're like, there's got to be a cheap charger out there somewhere. Right. 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 <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you need a time machine, but yeah. yeah. I had a guy reach out to me today and I, I won't sell him out, but uh, he's a buddy and we've talked about some of his cars in the past and he found a, he found a 1971 FC seven charger RT for like five grand and Whoa. the car needs to be restored, but it's an sure. original FC seven car 440 car. And I'm just, he's like, please, Hey, do not post this car <laughs> if you find it. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man. And I'm thinking to myself, cause the Mopar Hunter was taking up so much time that for those of you that don't know, I now spend a couple hours on the weekend and just schedule out all the posts that I do on the Mopar Hunter. Because if I sat there and took the time every day to oh, yeah. randomly, start, it just takes so much time. So if I just take two hours and I go, I'm going to find cars to put, cause I used to post six a day and finding six different car. I mean, there was cars that I was posting. I, I would post it twice, three times because I would forget that I posted that one. Cause I was posting yeah. so many, you know yeah. what I mean? So I was like, all right, three a day is okay. Cause I, I can see the numbers and the statistics of how many people are actually seeing it, how many people, um, the posts are reaching. So I dropped it down to three a day and it's still reaching the same amount of people. So that makes it a little bit easier to deal with, but he was afraid. The guy was afraid that I was going to find the car and post it. And he's like, I really want to get this car and I don't want to <laughs> get screwed. So I was like, yeah. oh man, let me, I'll check. And so I checked just to be sure. Cause I, I find so many of them that I forget, you know what Maybe I mean? So I'm like, it already, yeah. yeah, I was like, I think I would have remembered a car that cheap that yeah. was that, you know what I mean? It's a two fender tag car. It's just, I hope he gets yeah. it, but there's a lot of questions and it's pretty far from him. And I told him, I was like, you know, just based on what I see, if everything I see is true and you get the, you get the VIN number and you can prove that it is what they say it is, then it's, it's worth it. Just yeah. get that car. You know what I mean? Yeah. But hopefully, uh, hopefully he gets it. And I'm probably going to have him on the podcast to talk about that because I want to get people like yourself that have these stories of cars that they got for a decent price because they're yeah. still out there. You know what I mean? Yes, but, they do happen. Yeah. But like I said, Johnny, thanks for coming on. Um, You're very welcome. And yeah. thanks for having me, man. It's oh, been man. a, it's it's been a, a pleasure. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I knew uh, I knew the first time you sent in a story, I was like, I need to get him on the show. And I and I had planned, you know, we're buddies. I planned to yeah. get you on the show. But once I heard the first story, I was like, oh, yeah, he's a storyteller. <laughs> this is good stuff. Great stuff. Yeah, uh, it's amazing how many stories you you have over the years. You know, I, I have quite a few. I Like I told you before, I'll run out eventually. But, you know, for well, now, your podcast keeps going. And, you know, if, if you run light on some guests, uh yeah, just let me know. Well, I'll, I'll dig up a story. We'll, we'll share it. I've thought about it many times. Like once I get through this 
stack of, and I'm getting pretty close of listener stories. And then maybe I have a week where nobody, nobody sends in a story. I'm going to hit up Johnny Mopar. Hey, Johnny, <laughs> let's get a story in, buddy. Come on the podcast. Tell us a story. Yeah. Yeah. No but, problem. <laughs> I'll let you know when I run out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Probably about the same time you'll run out of chargers too. Right. <laughs> right. Never, never. <laughs> um, all right. So I like to close this show with a little segment that I call the six pack. And basically the six pack is a speed round of six Mopar related random questions and they're this or that questions. So you can choose quick answers or you can explain yourself why you answered the way you answered it. It doesn't really matter. Either way works for me. Um, Johnny, are you ready for the six pack? Sure. All right, here we go. First question, buddy, Dodge or Plymouth? Dodge. Okay. Only because, you know, like I told you, I'm a charger guy. I get it. It's always worked out that way. I've always had Dodges come my way more than Plymouths. And my buddy, Eric, he's a Plymouth guy. So just is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, Super B or Roadrunner? Ooh. I'm going to have to go with the Super B because that's my unicorn car. I've 70, never right? 70, definitely. I've always <laughs> want, I mean, you got Chargers. You know, all the second gen, 68, 69, 70, and then 70 Super B is like right behind it. And I've always wanted one and I've never owned one. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. You could probably have, I mean, I'm sure if you were asked, hey, would you have given up one of your charger finds just to find that 70 Super B? You'd probably give at least one of them up, right? I would. I would. Okay. Only because I had plenty. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now you're bragging, Johnny. We can't have that. If I only had one, no, I wouldn't do it. All right, let's uh, let's talk about high impact colors: vitamin C or plum crazy. Plum crazy. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Only because I, I had an old power wagon. I painted plum crazy. I love that. I that thing of, looks awesome. I saw. Oh, the thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I had a lot of fun with that truck. A lot of a lot of cool times with that truck. And then I had my lowered one. You know, my D100. I. I had, you had to two purple one, huh? Because you painted the lowered one purple too, right? Yes, yes. So you had two purple ones. I had two. Yeah, I had oh, the four cool. by four power <laughs> wagon four <laughs> by four. That's and, right. I uh, got a picture of that. I think I yeah. did see a picture of that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah and kind cool. of pay homage to that truck. I when I had my lowered one, I painted it plum crazy. Also, I can, I still remember I was going through uh, I was going through a McDonald's one day in the drive-through, right? And the girl at the at the window, she goes, "Oh, that's cute." And I'm like, "Cute." <laughs> she goes, "I like the color." And I go, "You got to say that's badass." And she's yeah. like, oh, "Okay, that's badass." <laughs> God, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, badass. Same thing. Yeah, Johnny's not just a charger guy, folks. He's also a tin grill guy. And for those of you that don't know what a tin grill is, I explain this every Johnny, every time I talk about a tin grill, I have to explain what one is because I know it's like the pet name that has been given to those trucks. So 72 to 80 Dodge Fargo and Plymouth trail dusters are known as tin grills. That's the pet name given to them online by our friend Paul from the tin grill Dodge truck page. But moving on, moving on with the rest of the six pack. I know you're a Charger guy, but I have to ask you this. Challenger or Cuda? Oh, man. I'm going to go with Cuda because I had one. I had one. I've only 
Well, I've owned two e-bodies my whole life, and one of them, actually, the CUDA was my second Mopar ever owned. My 68 Charger was my third. So we'll save that for another another time. Yeah. Hey, folks, we only really scratched the surface. Uh, (laughs) So we talked about what cars Johnny has right now. (laughs) We haven't talked about all the cars he's I purposefully left that question off because I was like, we'll probably be here all night. <laughs> I can't <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> we'll have to do a part two with Johnny Mopar and that will happen. Yeah. You're um, going to enjoy how much I paid for that car too. Oh God, I can't wait. Don't don't <laughs> call that one in. We're going to get nope. you back on sooner rather than later onto uh, Direct Connections because this has been a blast. Um, <laughs> let's, let's go to the next question. As far as model years, 1969 or 1970? Ooh. It's tough. Man. Even when I, I wrote it down, I was like, ooh, I, I don't know if I could answer that because I have favorites from both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always, you always get, you know, as a Charger guy, second gen guy, you always get, mm-hmm. they always ask you, which one do you love the most? And I'm a 68 I guy. I like the 68. Dude, it's tough for me because my dad had the 68. Mm-hmm. So if I have that tie to 68s. You know, my first car, my first Charger was a 68. Um, but I also had a 70, which I absolutely loved that burnt orange exterior and interior car. That's another good story. You're going to love the price on that one too, (laughs) (laughs) but I absolutely loved that car. And so I have a, a, a huge affection to seventies. And then of course the Dukes of Hazzard growing up on 69s, you know, it's like, I always had to have a 69. Um, Man, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with seventy. Okay. I go with seventy. All right. Cool. Next one. Last one. Scat pack or rapid transit system? I'll go with scat pack. Yeah. I figured as much. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's one where I'm a guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I'm an equal opportunity Mopar guy, but there's something about like Dodge, I have to give it up to them because in 68 they really changed the game when they said all right we're gonna scat pack you know when i have uh you know my dad's 68 the blue one that i still Mm -hmm. have you know he he bought in 82 and in the quarter glass there's the scat pack decal in the quarter glass and that thing is just like seared into my brain so i love that it's the original one so it's probably patinaed a little bit and it's definitely patinaed it's not that's a whole nother story because that car (laughs) That car has RT stripes on it, uh, had RT badges on it. It had the scat packs in the glass. Um, I grew up thinking that car was an RT, you know, since 82. Sure. And uh, it wasn't until, well, I don't want to, I don't want to get in too deep. You know, we're, we're at the end of this episode, so we'll save it. We'll save it for another episode. All right. That leaves, Hey, that's a cliffhanger. I liked, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, really quick. My dad was telling me a story. Uh, there was a Dodge dealer um, in the Seattle area, and my dad went by there once, and he saw them converting a '70 <laughs> Challenger, a 318 car, into a TA. He watched them putting the stickers on everything, or putting the decals wow. on. And uh, I was like, "Gosh, I wonder how many cars were sold, and people just didn't know what we know today, as far as yeah. you know, decoding cars, and they just bought it yep. thinking, oh, I got, I've got a TA.'" You know, oh, well, <laughs> you know, Mopar Collector's Guide was one of the big magazines I watched. There was an article in there somewhere buried, you know, little article. Not only were dealers doing that stuff, the factory was doing that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, really? There was 
Yeah, there was a guy that wrote in and said that he worked. He worked at Chrysler. He was on the line, and he said a uh, uh, satellite Sebring, I think, came down the line, and um, somebody somewhere ordered. They, you know, went into a dealership, started checking all the boxes of everything that they wanted on the car, and this satellite had everything that this guy wanted. So rather than build another car, you know, all the colors he wanted, all the options he wanted, they just said, screw it. So they pulled, they pulled the drivetrain out. I think it had a 318. They put a 440 in it or whatever, you know, they put all of the, the stuff on this car to turn it into, I think it was a GTX. They turned it into a GTX. So I'm sure the Vintag said, it was a satellite Sebring, you know, but when this guy picked it up at the dealership, he was happy to get his GTX, you know, and drive it away. Wow. That's great. I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did funny. stuff like that. You know, you know about the M code Roadrunners, right? The first, first couple coming off the line were actually Vintag as 3D3 cars. Did you know that? I think I heard some rumblings of that, but I didn't yeah. know it. Conc- I didn't know it in concrete. That's true. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. It's wow. true. There's one. At least there's one known in existence. So because they built all those cars at the exact same time, like they know the VIN numbers, like from that day, you know, oh, however many they built. Yes, they're sequential. Oh, wow. They built them all in one I didn't shot. Know that. Wow. Yeah, and so they're they're able to. Um, this guy. I think I read this in Mobar Collector's Guide somewhere, but uh, this guy had like one of the first ones, maybe the very first one. And the Vintag, he was selling the car, and the guy, you know, this is a M, this is a 446 pack liftoff hood Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. Guy comes out to look at it to buy it, doesn't buy the car because the Vintag says it's a 383, and he's like, no, this is a this is a real 446 pack car. It's like, ah, I'm not dropping this kind of coin on a car that says it's a 383 on the Vintag. So I, I, I don't know if Govier got involved or if he decoded it. I, I want to say he did, but I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But anyway, that VIN number was on the list or it was close. I, I don't know that they know for sure. Like the edges you know, they know of all the six pack cars that exist yeah. and I'm not sure they, they know where the edge is from the beginning to the end, but this guy's VIN number was on the front end of all of that. So a six pack Roadrunner is basically, if you look at those cars, they're strip cars and three oh, yeah. to three Roadrunners were strip cars. So Absolutely. these cars, they just took, I think the first couple of ones going down the line, they were, they were already tagged as three eighty three cars. And they just said, you know, we're returning, we're diverting them. They're going to now get 446 wow. packs. And this guy's, uh, the VIN code stamped on the block. I think it even had the, uh, I, well, I'm not sure if it, cause I think they only put the serial number. I don't know if they, they would code it all the way up to the front end of the VIN, mm-hmm. but the serial number did match the car. So wow. here you had a numbers matching 446 pack in a car that had a VIN tag that said 383 in it, you know, pretty yeah. wild. That is crazy. See, folks, you learn something new every time you listen to this show, and that's why you need right? to keep listening to Talking Mopars. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, that was a great history lesson. That I didn't know any of that, so that's cool. Very cool. Wow. Yeah, this- Johnny's Johnny's uh, classes in session, folks. That's that's really good information. I've now I have to. It's in my head now. I'm actually going to write it down because now I want to look. Yeah, go, I go look check it out. Yeah. What's up? 
That's very cool. I didn't realize that they were sequential. So that's cool too. Um, I, I mean, I could always be wrong, Chris, you know, it's like I pick up little tidbits of information here and there and it's like, Oh, that's pretty interesting. You know, I'm not one of those big numbers kind of guys, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and I'm sure I have the magazine somewhere, you know, stuffed away with that article sure, in it. I'm sure if you're wrong, we're going to hear all about it and how dumb we are. Yeah. You know, you know <laughs> Himmy Bill probably knows all this stuff. He's the guy that he, he he's is good at that kind of stuff. So he could probably confirm or deny this, uh, this story. So, <laughs> well, hey, uh, I plan on getting Hemi Bill on the show. And you've set the bar really high for future guests. I'm like, <laughs> gosh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> I don't think. They... <laughs> well, okay. Now, now, I, now I have to ask every single one of them, what's the cheapest Mopar you bought? Oh, 10 grand? Oh, well. <laughs> Clearly, you haven't talked to Johnny Mopar. because he... <laughs> Right? <laughs> no, man. It was, it was great having you on. Let's do this again sometime. Before we sign off, is there anything you'd like to plug? Social media, YouTube, anything like that? Uh, just a couple of guys' names. Um, Hemi Bill. See that Daytona up there? Yeah. That was his car. I bought that from him. So just huh. if he's watching, if this ends up being a video and he watches it, he can he can see that where his car is. It's still still being huh. taken care of. Um, if if you like General Mayhem, there's a guy named Eric LeMay that actually built a clone of the car. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm familiar with Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool guy. So definitely, I I can't think of his. Uh, it's like something like Roadkill fans or okay. or General Mayhem fans or something like that. He created. Um, yeah, go go try to find it. Check it out. You could see a bunch of cool pictures of the of the clone that he built, which I like because you know I told you I didn't like the grill. Yeah. In the uh, in the, in the real General Mayhem. He actually built the the car how I like it. He put a grill in it, you know. I mean, because the the grill on a Charger is just so iconic, you know. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. That's way better. That's hilarious to me. Now people are cloning roadkill cars, right? Right. <laughs> that's that's I amazing. Should, Eric's the make... guy. Eric's the guy who puts the death proof ducks on his cars, right? I thought he had a tin no. grill, and he's got a death proof. Like the angry duck. Oh, I think ornament. he does. I think yeah. he does. Yeah, he's got like a turquoise. Uh, yeah. It's a swept line. It's not a tin grill. It's a swept line. Is it? Okay. I thought maybe yeah. it's somebody else with a tin grill. Hmm. It could be. Okay, I know this. I know the swept line for sure. I know the swept line. Uh, Anthony Spriggs has that. He's got a. He's got one of those ducks on his. He's got a '69 Plum Crazy Purple Charger, and he's got one of those du death-proof ducks on the hood of his car. So <laughs> that's awesome put shoot his name out there. And then uh, Jason Hillmeyer, I think this is his name. This guy is the guy that sold uh, the other 68 Charger to Roadkill. The oh. NASCAR looking car that yeah. Finnegan was working yes. on and stuff. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty cool dude too. Really? It's pretty cool to hear his, his you know, story. Gosh, so well, maybe you want to look him up yeah. and bring yeah. him out. If he ever if he ever hears this, reach out to me. We'll get you on the show and talk talk about that one too. Yeah, um, yeah. Very cool, man. Well, Johnny, once again, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. It's a blast. Two hours, almost two hours and twenty minutes, dude. We we've been yeah, talking well, Mopars, but that's what yeah. happens when you get a couple Mopar guys together. We we're gonna talk Mopar. Yeah. My wife. Hey. hey. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. My wife, like, if I go out and I'm I'm going to buy a part or something from somebody on Craigslist or what have you, and she's like, <laughs> how, long you, how long do you think it's gonna take? 
I always give her a time. <laughs> and in my head, I know I'm bullshitting her because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. I know it's, I know I'm going to get there because I always I always say too, and I know this is bullshit. I always say, you know, yeah. I'm not going to be there for that long. I'm just going to pick up the part. And then we yeah. start BSing and talking Mopars. And it's, it's just what happens because Mopar people are, they're unique. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's definitely, I don't know if it's just because there's fewer of us. So when we get together, we're a lot crazier or what, but right, I don't right. know. I've been around well, a lot hey, of car guys and Mopars are the best. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. It, it, I think they're different. I think they're better than the rest of those guys. <laughs> I am biased. But, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, if there is any advice for another piece of advice is okay. uh, people are nervous about calling into your show or being on your show. I would say, don't be, it's just like going to a car show and you're, you know, you're talking, you see this cool Mopar there and you start bullshitting with the owner. I mean, I'm sure almost all of us have done that at some oh, yeah. point in time. <laughs> that, that That's exactly what this is. This is the same thing. So don't be nervous about it. Just go for it. We want to hear yeah. the story. Absolutely. And I was kind of that the same way when I started the Mopar Hunter, I, you know, you're hiding behind a keyboard essentially. So when you actually yeah. get out there and you're wearing, I'm, I'm wearing a shirt that says the Mopar Hunter and people are like, Hey, what's that? And then I'm like, Oh yeah, now I got to talk to people. I'm yeah. Like, oh yeah. I kind of, <laughs> and then you're trying to tell them you're looking at their car and you're like, Oh yeah, I have this page called the Mopar Hunter. And they're like, what's that? And then you have to explain it. And they're like, they don't understand it. Cause a lot of the Mopar guys, they just, they're like, huh, that's Facebook, dumb. That's so dumb. Weird. You know, <laughs> yeah. but now now I'm talking to people and they're, they're like, Oh, you're the Mopar hunter. And I'm like, it just sounds, it sounds dirty to me. Cause I'm like, I, I just created a page called the Mopar hunter. And then, and then if I piss somebody off, they're like, Oh, the self-proclaimed. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> dude. <laughs> All right. Yep. That's me. <laughs> yep. But it's fun. I take it with a of salt. <laughs> yeah. That's all you could do. But Johnny, like I said, buddy, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking Mopars with me. I can't wait to have you back on. I know you got a bunch more stories and we kind of, we skimmed the surface. So we got a bunch more to talk about. Um, thank you. And uh, yeah, you're we'll back on the show uh, another time. Okay. That sounds good. All right, buddy. Ladies right, and gentlemen, great. that was Direct Connections with Johnny Mopar. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome, man. We'll catch you later. There you have it, my friends. Another fun episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. Thanks for joining me on this installment of Direct Connections. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I know I sure did. I love these Direct Connections episodes. Johnny was an amazing guest, and Chuck and Matt were amazing guests. So far, I've had three amazing guests. And you know what? I'm looking forward to Talking Mopars with so many other people that I wish I could just quit my day job and do this podcast full-time. There's just... So many Mopar enthusiasts out there with great stories and so much to talk about that, you know, frankly, I'm having anxiety just thinking about how I'm going to get them all scheduled, but we will make it happen, so stay tuned. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com, and don't forget that you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com, and hey, if you have an idea of somebody that would make a great guest on the show, or if you would make a great guest on the show, reach out to me, let me know what you think, and hey, if you are more of a talker than a typer, you can also leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox. The number is 209-28-MOPAR, and I will play those messages on the show. 
So if you have a story to share and you don't mind being heard on the show, send it in to the voicemail. And if you could do me one favor, folks, please help me spread the word about this show. Share it on your social media and tell all of your Mopar Addicted friends about this podcast. And that will help us grow, get more guests, and maybe someday I'll be able to do this show more than just once a week. But until then, that does it for this week. Until we talk again. I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars Direct Connections. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.